And we are live. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Renegade Operative. I am the host of the Infinite Ammo Syndicate, and we are doing the Rebellious Edge podcast episode 11, Cinematic Games versus Raw Gameplay. So I'm going to introduce the panel here, and the first person we have here is Andre. What up, peoples? Uh, we're, I can't wait to talk about, um, you know, Raw Gameplay versus, like, you know, Cinemax. It's going to be fun. Next, we have too many to play, which is too many two people because we have two people on the same account. What's up, everybody? We're too many to play. My name's Dylan with a Y. And I'm Dylan with I. Mm-hmm. That's us. <laughs> We're super <laughs> hyped to be here. Thank you. No problem. Next, we have Deadman Gaming. Hey, guys, I'm Deadman Gaming. I run a YouTube channel called Deadman Gaming, obviously. I like to do wins on video games and just generally have a good time. And last but not least, we have If It's Not Fun. Introduce yourself, hey. good sir. Hey guys, um, If It's Not Fun. After all, if it's not fun, why bother? And if my name doesn't tell you, I have a lot to say about this topic. <laughs> I like this guy. That's a joke name. Yeah, that's a cool name. Isn't that the Reggie slogan? I swear it yes, is. Yes, it is. Good, good. If it's not fun, why bother? Yeah, so we're that's gonna get into slogan. the... We're going to get into the first question, which is question number one. Mm -hmm. Let's start this podcast off with the first question. How do you feel about slow pace, uninteresting set pieces in a video game before things actually get entertaining? Red Dead Redemption 2 is a perfect example. You can barely run or explore the enclosed area during chapter one, which takes an hour to complete. Who wants to go first? I can't speak on anything for Red Dead Redemption 2 as mm -hmm. I've not played it, but... Um... Actually... I guess I can take this one because I actually did play Red Dead 2 recently. Well, Andre, okay, let yeah, um... go for it, man. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Sure. Um, honestly, it really depends because, I mean, Red Dead 2 is a good game, but I will say this, Chapter 1 is pretty slow. Uh, there are some cool missions you do. Like, I do really like the train robbery mission. That was pretty fun. But it's, like, very slow... I'll put it this way, it's mostly to get you introduced into like the characters in the world, which is fine because the characters in the world are great. But you can't really explore the snowy mountains a bit. Like the game doesn't open up so I wanna say the second chapter. When you get to I'd say Valentine, and that's when the game starts to get so um it really depends. If the gameplay is like there's not much happening in the story, but the gameplay is good, then it's not too much of a big deal, personally. Yeah, that's what I have to say. I think that first section is like just a giant tutorial to get you introduced to the game, but you can't walk anywhere, so it is kind of like plodding a bit. Uh, in my experience, I would say um, for a game to get interesting, if it's slow paced, it depends. Like, I don't mind a game slowing down or having slow sections because I feel like if it's too crazy or fast paced way too much, it doesn't give the player room to breathe. You're going to want to have those sections where it's like, oh, you're doing something different or having downtime or maybe doing something else that's a fun activity, maybe having side missions that will distract you from the main course, which is the main story missions. Uh, I think you need to break up the monotony because if you don't, then either it's too fast paced or it's like just boring and you don't want the game to be so slow to the point where it's like you're doing something and it's taking like eight years to finish. I think afterwards, that's when your attention span just sort of lowers because you're doing the same thing over and over and you're not really feeling like you're getting anywhere in terms of progress. 
No, that makes sense. I mean, when you think about yeah. it, it gives you a chance to build up to something better. Yeah. I mean, if I think, um, yeah. I don't know if you've ever played The Legend of Zelda Twilight Princess, but it's got something similar where you start in a village, it's super slow, they drip feed you all this mm -hmm. stuff before the game opens up, and it takes forever. It's usually, like, arguably the worst part of the game, but once it opens up, it's amazing. You get to explore this giant world, and, you know, before that happens, you get to, you know, learn about the characters, learn about what you can do, and then it opens up. It gives you a chance to, you know, see what the game has to offer after first slowly letting you into the game, and I think that helps sometimes. I agree completely. It, I do. Yeah. yeah, same here. I mean, if, I mean, to me, you have to kind of strike the good tone of either the tutorial being too long or just the right amount because Twilight Princess, I do love Twilight Princess. I know that's kind of an egregious topic between a lot of people, but I love it. I love all the Legend of Zeldas, really. Um, but Twilight Princess did have a problem with that. Um, something I thought they did better on was Breath of the Wild. They just They did drip feed you, but they drip fed you a little bit here, you have a huge chunk of gameplay, and then a little bit here, and then a huge chunk of gameplay, and a little bit here, and then by the time you're done with the tutorial, which would be the whole plateau, I mean, you're real tutorials. I mean, there's little things here and there, but there's not anything huge new that you have to learn. But the tutorial is still broken up well enough that it's not that big of an issue. And it's still fun. Yeah, exactly. And, and the Breath of the Wild tutorial, like the whole Great Plateau was like, it was drip feeding, but like with gameplay, it wasn't, I didn't feel like it was split up at all. I feel like the whole thing was just like, as a tutorial was fun. Like the whole thing was fun. As far as like Red Dead Redemption 2 though, I've only played that beginning part, um, but uh, I watched my brother play the rest of the game and I thought it was, I thought it was well done. I Sometimes it's necessary for world building, especially like in a game as big as that. It's kind of like an uh, animes or things like that, where the first couple episodes are kind of drag out. So you get used to the characters and the world and like the rules of the game or show, and then things can like broaden, open up, and it sometimes it turns out to be great. I yeah. agree 100 percent with that. because well, um, that's usually a good thing because it's like the first few hours are slow, but it starts to really pick up later. Like it picks up really quickly after that, and that's fine because by that point you're so invested with like the story of the characters and. The gameplay, it it really doesn't become an issue. Yeah, exactly. If you if they can make you like, if they can take that little bit of time, if it's necessary to take that little bit of time rather, to, and they can get you invested into the characters, it changes the whole game completely. If you get if you give a fuck about the people in the game, you're gonna want to continue playing it, see what happens to these people, and what you can do to help, and all that jazz. Oh yeah, yeah. I agree. <clears throat> so, does anyone else have an opinion on this one before we move on? Um, I got one. It's not specifically about tutorials, but it's kind of in the same vein. So I did love Death Stranding, but what I thought was bad is it kind of felt like they kept drip feeding you tutorials up until I finished the game. I mean, up until I think the last couple of chapters, they were still introducing new people to be a major part of the game. And like, I get that, you know, through the story, you can't just keep the same characters. You got to keep new people or get new people in. But it does become a problem sometimes when it's like you're still introducing new stuff to me and i'm in like the last three hours of the game yeah i was gonna i think i brought that up in like chat where it's like you know the tutorial it's like if they introduce new mechanics like you get new guns or new parts or maybe like a new item if they introduce that and they explain how it works okay fair enough it's up to the player to take that tool and use it 
in the way that it's meant to be applied or try to find like creative uses with it but if i'm like halfway through the game and i have all this stuff and they're still telling me hints i just feel like something's off like you know i'm getting handheld at that rate it's like yeah you kind of explained the stuff in the intro so i don't think i need to know it now considering i have like a fucking rocket launcher on my back i have all this stuff i know how to play the game so it kind of it just right. kind of feels weird to me you know oh yeah definitely like I, I feel like they should just tell you and then set you loose if they don't do that and they keep trying to handhold you i think they're just trying to make it like way too easy way too complex more than it needs to be when you already know how this stuff works exactly so yeah your yeah. your tutorial should not be way too long because i feel like at that point it just sort of kills the need to explore it's like i'm trying to go somewhere it's like here here's how to run here's how to walk you know <laughs> I, I don't need yeah. all that i just need to I figure it the, out yeah i, think I actually thought tutorial should be is um i maybe say four to five hours at least and after that they should just let you yeah that's pretty much how long a tutorial should be I actually thought Dark Souls did it really good just with the way, like, you could read the messages on the ground, but you can also mess around with the controls and just kind of see your way through it. That whole asylum is, you know, it's one big, long tutorial. And, I mean, you can still learn new stuff after you get out and, you know, how to better use your equipment, how to better scale your leveling, but that's not stuff that's force-fed down your throat. It's stuff that you can learn little by little. I mean, I played through all three of the Dark Souls and Bloodborne without ever realizing how to properly scale my levels, and I still managed to beat them. So that was something new that I learned even after I'd played all them, and now I can go back and actually play them good. I hate Dark Souls so much because of those <laughs> hints I do. It's like, sometimes they're so vague, it's like, look out, and I'm like, okay, I gotta look out for something, and then something hits you unexpectedly, and you're like, fuck, man, why did I just die like this? It's or the, hey, there's treasure over here, and then it's just, oh, hey, you just jumped off a cliff. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> it, it's a little bit of that misdirection going on there. Oh, yeah. It debates you. But we're going to move on to question number two. So, Andre, could you read that off, please? Sure. Um, how do you feel about video games that are extremely fun to play, but character development and plot elements aren't as great? Um, okay, you know what? I feel like honestly, um, personally, if the gameplay is really good, like the core mechanics, just how the game's designed is really good, and the story is, it's, it's there. The characters are enjoyable, then it's, it's not a huge issue. Like if the gameplay and everything you do is enjoyable, that that's what that's what's most important. Like the gameplay being fun, like, because um, I can sort of sound like a bad story. Like for instance, oh, um. Like, for instance, I love Devil May Cry, but the games aren't really heavy on plot. They're kind of more heavy on the action, you know, pulling off crazy combos and stuff like that. And the cutscenes are more so, like, it's just, it's like cheesy, wacky, over-the-topness, you know, with Dante and Co. And it's always fun, so it's never, like, and, like, the sort, like, the characters in lore are interesting. Like, well, the lore is interesting, but the characters are really likable, but as it stands, it's mostly heavy on its gameplay more than its story, so, yeah. 
Hmm. I, I feel like my, my answer is going to be short for this one, but I feel like it's good to have mostly gameplay uh, because you are playing a video game. So that's that needs to be like top notch, in my opinion. Uh, but the, the problem. Yeah. But the problem there with the story being like non-existent is that I end up not giving a shit about the characters. Like I love Bayonetta as a game, but honestly, after the story, I could care less about her. So you do lose that in the process. It's like, okay, this is a great game, but you could say like the story is trash and the characters aren't appealing. And that's just one aspect of a game that's not that great. Uh, I think people need to understand that for a video game's sake, you can have like one disappointing element and the game is still good because um, that's how I felt about um, Resident Evil 3. It's like Resident Evil 3 is not as good as the um, original, I'm talking about the remake, but it's still a fun game to play gameplay wise, just when it comes to content, that's where the game really suffers. So you can have this checkbox of like gameplay, graphics, story, sound, controls. There's like a lot of stuff you're reviewing in the same time. Yeah, cause um, I mean, personally like, if the story is like not, if the story is kind of forgettable, but the gameplay is enjoyable, then that's and you know that's not a deal breaker for me. Some people will say it's a pass, but others will say that yeah, it's a fun game, but story is really not hooking me, so I don't care about these characters. That's how I felt about Bayonetta. I think it depends oh, yeah. on the game. I mean, some games yeah, are meant yeah. to be more gameplay based, anyways. I mean, if you look at true. let's say you look at Mario. Look at Mario Odyssey. Is anyone complaining? Oh, the game's shit. I don't care about Mario. What's his motive? Uh, what's Bowser kidnapping Peach for? No, one, no one's going to complain about that because the game's meant to be purely just fun to move around, fun to collect moons and play the game. You know, you know it depends. Yeah. No one's going to say yeah. that's a bad game because th th there's not enough story in the Mario game to you know make it worthwhile. I mean, I think the, the problem... Oh, uh, Andre, let me go real Sorry. quick. Uh, I think the problem is that um, it's it's dependent on how it presents itself because if you have like characters that are like they're trying to tell tell you something in terms of plot like here's this character here's that character uh, what are they doing what is what is this person doing um what is the main character's motivations and if it turns out to not be that great in terms of presentation then that's when i think it's fair to criticize the game for not having good characters or story if they set this stuff up for games that don't do that like mario or streets of rage where you're going around just beating dudes up and you really don't care about the backstory of like Axel Stone. Let's be honest, you're there to be someone's ass on the street. Uh, so I, I could totally see in that regard where it's like, yeah, in that regard, the story is non-existent. It's just there to get to point A to point B. Well, yeah, I guess if, if they're trying to tell a story and they fail, but the game play is still fun, then that's fine. Just yeah. skip the story. Oh, yeah. yeah, just exactly. Yeah, you can do but that. But I guess, yeah, if, they, if they're trying to tell a story, that, that's what matters. Right, and yeah. that's what you can do for something like Bayonetta. You know, you go through the story; it's pretty batshit crazy, but it's it's okay. I mean, it's it's not. I'm not gonna say Bayonetta's story is stellar. I'm not gonna say it's trash. It's just kind of in the there. middle. Probably you could say it was it'd be mediocre because it's just like okay, this is here. I like Bayonetta for the cool set pieces and shit. And I was actually gonna bring up Metal Gear Rising. It's the same thing, which probably is just a platinum games thing. I think now that I think about it. They have batshit story, crazy stories, but their gameplay is really tight and really good. Um, you know, Metal Gear Rising, and, and granted, the combat could have been better on it. It was, it felt a little stiff at times, but 
just the fact that nobody else has tried to rip off the blade mode is astounding because the blade mode was easily one of the best features of the game but the story was kind of eh okay I think in that instance, it's it's kind of a little bit weird because, like, when you jump from Metal Gear Solid to Metal Gear Rising, you can tell, like, when you go back to the past that Solid really presented itself as a story-driven game, whereas Rising is meant to be crazy, batshit, hack and slash. Uh, But that character that was from the original Metal Gear Solid games comes from Metal Gear Solid 2, and a lot of people like Metal Gear Solid 2 for having a mindfuck. So... I think, like, uh, if it's not fun set, it all depends on the context of the game itself and what it's trying to be. If it's a story-driven game, trying to have good gameplay, but it fails that story, then I think it's a little bit eh. It's like, yeah, these characters are not really sticking to me, but if it's, like, a game where it's supposed to be genre-pacific and you're trying to go around and jump on Goombas, then I think it really doesn't matter. Of development issues with Metal Gear Solid Rising, so I kind of feel like it sort of gets a pass in that department. Oh, no, um, doubt, no doubt. But I mean, just just as a standalone game, I thought it was really fun. It's actually one of my favorite ones out of the series, but mostly just for the gameplay. Now, if we're talking the actual best, you know, we all know it's going to be Snake Eater. Mm-hmm. Snake Eater is one of those that's really good balance with the story and really good balance with the gameplay. Um, actually that's going a little off topic but uh but yeah i thought metal gear rising it was a really fun game to play but i'm not it's not going to be like snake eater where yeah i'm going to go ahead and watch this cutscene again because this story is really good the plot in rising is just okay this thing happens you cut shit up you go to the next thing the next thing happens you cut up more shit i mean that's pretty much rising's deal the final boss is a guy with a giant forehead that kicks you like a football i don't think you could take that seriously (laughs) Yeah, but honestly, that's that's that platinum magic where it's just like, I don't, what the fuck is this? This came out of nowhere, but it kind of works in a weird way. But again, for story's sake, it's like, okay, whatever. I'm punching up a roided up nano suited senator. I'm not surprised and, and still surprised at the same time, but whatever. You get to have a cool blade fight with him and you rip his heart out in the end it, it just is metal <laughs> that final boss was amazing dude like i was like yo i'm fighting the cylinder my guy let's go. i thought the best part was just like grabbing the uh the arm off of his metal gear and just slashing him up with it logic be damned that was fucking cool <laughs> I love that scene. That was great. I'm pretty sure nobody in Platinum gives a shit about logic or physics. Otherwise, none of their games would make even more sense than they already don't. Oh, not at all. That, no. That's the beauty <laughs> of video be games. It, it doesn't need to make sense to be good. Exactly. Yeah. Like, I see a lot of people try to deconstruct stuff. It's like, well, this isn't logical. This wouldn't work scientifically. And it's like, it's fiction. Who gives a shit? Because the rule of cool is always going to apply more than anything else. So too many to forever. play. Too many to play. Exactly. Do you have any opinion on this? Uh, video games that are extremely fun to play, but the character development and plot elements aren't as great. Hmm. I think they're. I was gonna say, uh, if it's if it's got bad character development, you know, you can always skip the story and just play the game. Like you yeah. said, you said Streets of Rage Four. Like I just played that, and. God damn it, I could not watch any of the story. It was all so stupid and it made no sense, but the game was so fun to play. So good. It was just, it was so much easier to skip and keep playing. 
but I don't feel like it hurt it at all. Like it could have had a good story and like, you know, you could have known the story of Axel and all that. Like, but even without that, it's still a really good game on its own. Um, and with Resident Evil 3 as well, it's the same way. Um, it, ha it lacked a lot of content, but it was still fun to play. So I think there's, there is a fine balance between that. But even if it's not great, as long as the gameplay is really good, you can just skip the story and play the game. That That's just how I feel about it. Yeah, I agree. Mm -hmm. It doesn't even matter. Like, the point of playing a game at the end of the day is good gameplay, you know? Right. I, 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 I mean, stories are definitely important. I didn't mean to interrupt you, brother. But stories are definitely important, you know, to keep, get you immersed in all that. But at the end of the day, if the game's not fun to play, it doesn't matter how good the story is, you know? Mm -hmm. And I forget who said it at the start of the call, but, you know, it is a... It's a video game first and a storytelling medium second. You know, back when games first started, you know, there wasn't really a story. It was, it, you know, like Mario, you got to go find a princess. That was all the story you had. And it slowly became more of a storytelling medium. And that is perfectly fine. Of course. But it's a video game and it is an interactive medium. So first and foremost, it has to be fun to play. The story can be lackluster. That's fine. But, like, I'm going to remember more on how the game plays rather than the story. Exactly. Like, if the game plays cool, I'm cool with the story just being like, go fuck up these turtles and save that pink bitch. That's fine. Exactly. <laughs> 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 yeah, I think that's it. If the game plays good and the story's bad, it's okay. But if it's vice versa, or the gameplay sucks, it's, it's kind of, it's not always as easy to make it through. No, it makes yeah. it way more difficult. It's still doable, but, I mean... If the I'm, gameplay is, like, actually bad. Yeah, I'm not going to try to get to the good story bits. I'm just going to watch someone else play it. Yeah, watch a Let's Play. Exactly. Like, I've heard... I haven't, got to, I haven't got to play it yet, but I've heard Azura's Wrath plays, like, hot dog shit. But the story is fucking awesome on it. The really? action scenes in that game are insane. They're just over-the-top insanity. Yeah, that game is a weird guilty pleasure to me. I, I enjoyed it, but I will admit that the frame rate is not that great. It, it's like dumb fun if you like just, just like turn your brain off and just enjoy it yeah that's the best kind of video game to play for sure yep. also dom hello sir you really hey dom <laughs> you're late <laughs> where you been can you hear us i think he's dead oh shit well, two dead men in the chat <laughs> that's actually true. i was here first though <laughs> <laughs> to be fair yes oh man so uh unless dom comes back yeah we can't hear you unless dom comes back then uh we're gonna move on to question number three. Oh, he, he okay, just he came said back. he had mic issues okay oh, can you hear us now dom you said oh, he, he said can he hear, hear us, us but we can't hear we can't him speak. yeah oh okay he's gone mute he's gone Battle of silence well, what I'll do is I'll move on to uh, question number three really quickly, and then you can, you know, come back and do yours. Uh, so how do you feel about force walking segments where the player has to observe the environment? What are your thoughts when the control is ripped away from the player? Who wants to go first? I can take I'll this I'll go one. on that. Okay. okay. <laughs> oh, go ahead, brother. No, you're good. Okay. Well, I'll use Final Fantasy VII as, you know, the starting point since that's like the most recent game I've played that I could think about that. 
Um, so with something like that, I always feel like you shouldn't force the player to slow down and take a look around because there are some people like me, I'll appreciate some background things, but it's like, no, come on. We've already started the gameplay. Let's get moving. If you're going to be a forced walking section, you might as well just be a cutscene. Um, you know, especially like Final Fantasy seven, it does it in like the middle of the game. And I think, um, Red Dead has a tendency to do that too. Um, you know, you just have these sections where it's like, okay, let's slow down and walk and, and take in the environment and listen to what's going on. Like, no, just, just make it a cutscene and let's get through it. Something I thought was good. If you're forced to walk, it kind of sucks, but I actually was playing Assassin's Creed Revelations not that long ago, long ago as well with my recording and Assassin's Creed Revelations has a, um, you know, it's got a mechanic in it where you just get close enough to the character you're supposed to be following and you'll automatically follow him. So that would be a good way. If you're going to have a forced walking uh, segment, add that in there so you don't have to manually control because to me it's hard to manually control walking yourself and then actually still taking everything in and listening to the person. That's a little bit, usually it's a little bit too much to ask of a person um, instead of just making it a little bit more simpler on them if you really want them to take in all of the background stuff that you work so hard on. Oh, so can you guys hear me? Yeah, we can hear you now. We can hear you. Okay, cool. We can hear you now, John. Yeah, uh, yeah, sorry. Welcome back, brother. <laughs> Discord's kind of retarded. It didn't want to <laughs> notify me, so I didn't know that you guys started already, but I was like, some, something felt off. Sounds I felt right, like I needed to, like, be somewhere, so, uh, I'm here <laughs> now. Uh, <laughs> um, I'll... I guess I could answer uh, number two really quick because Ren wanted me to, and then I could uh, answer number three. Uh, so how do I feel about video games that are extremely fun to play, but the character development and plot aren't as great? Um, so I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, but I think it's always good to have like the best of both worlds. Because if you could have like a game that's really fun to play, but also has a really good story, then it's like, very easy to recommend at that point and uh you could really have a good time uh playing said game whereas like if you're just going through the game it's fun but the story's kind of dog shit it's like yeah it's fun but like i might only recommend it for like one playthrough and then after that it's like i might forget about it <coughs> oh excuse me um <laughs> sorry about that and then uh, how do I feel about forced walking segments where the player has to observe the environment? Uh, what are your thoughts on the control ripped away from the player? Uh, so honestly, I, if they're going to do something like that, you might as well just make it a, fu a fucking cutscene. I don't really like the idea of just saying, hey, you have to walk through this thing. You have to do it. You have no control whatsoever. The only thing you have the ability to do is just to walk. Just walk and just listen to dialogue that, depending on how said dialogue is done, it could be either very well done or just poorly done, and you're just sitting there walking and listening to a conversation you could barely give a fuck about. So there's my stance on that. <laughs> I mean... Yeah. I guess the point is supposed to be for immersion, but realistically, if the only reason they have that segment is to give you part of the story, then what's the point? The cutscene does the exact same thing, and you're not going to get that much more immersed by walking around than you were with a cutscene anyways. Yeah, I don't see the purpose. That's my issue with some modern games. Um, I don't really like the reliance on logging sections. It, it slows down the pacing a lot in the game. 
It, well, it, dep- it really depends on certain games, unless it's like, like for instance, um, Dragon Zero does have like one walking segment on like the beginning, but it's not really long, and most of the, and after you do it, you don't really do it again or something like it. Yeah. I I yeah, think. But- if I had to give one positive, I would say if I'm really invested in the conversation or if I think the graphics look beautiful for what they're focusing on, then I might say, hey, that looks pretty or whatever. But yeah, when you rip away the control, I hated that in Red Dead Redemption 2 with the uh, encampments where you couldn't really run around. You could only walk. And I felt like, okay, I have to do this slow walk to start a mission. I really don't like this. At, l- at least allow me to sprint or jog to get there so I can just get it over with and start the next cutscene. I think mm-hmm. some of it also has to do with like, it's cool sometimes if it's like in the very beginning of the game or if it's like in between chapters of a game and it's not like super fucking slow and there's a lot of good shit to look at, like they're showing off what the developers took time and effort to make and shit like that like if the, if it's worth looking at and it looks great i don't mind it you know especially if there's like some interesting dialogue involved but when it comes down to it it all goes back to let me play the fucking game man i'm gonna look exactly. at it by myself i'm yeah. definitely gonna see everything you know i'm gonna look it's not like they show you anything that you wouldn't have seen anyway yeah they just zoom in like really tightly and i'm like okay what's the difference between actually going there as opposed to just like zooming in it's like you know the same experience either way exactly the thing that comes to my mind like instantly is in breath of the wild when you go to uh the fucking bird place and it like zooms in on the uh bird divine beast or whatever like if it was just like a shadow on the ground and they let you look up and discover that shit yourself it would have been a lot better and quicker to be fair you could already see it yourself and that was a cutscene. oh yeah yeah you can see it yourself that's what i'm saying but like they didn't need to do all that extra shit if it was just like look up boom this thing's fucking huge let's get to it you know i was gonna also like um the fact that like um as far as like just looking at the environment like a lot of games now they come come packaged with a photo mode if not like they'll patch it in later on oh yeah that's another great way of like seeing like details within the actual visuals and environments and whatnot Mm -hmm. so i think like you know stripping away like player control and just making them walk through a segment they clearly don't want to walk through it's like it's not fun I don't I don't know anybody in their right mind who says that walking just forced to be walking is fun. Yeah, exactly. It's a waste of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It makes sense like back in the day when graphics were shittier and they would do that like to show off like it, during cutscenes even when they would do the walking and the graphics were like what they wanted it to be but they couldn't incorporate it into the actual gameplay. So like when you go back to the gameplay, it's a lot shittier looking. So I get it with that. But nowadays, the like going from cutscene to gameplay is almost seamless. So it's it's become outdated. Yeah. So I'm like the consistency of them constantly doing it. If they just do it each and every single time, then that takes me out of the experience because mm-hmm. you are taking control away. But like once in a while, or if it's like you're focusing on some guy, and he's giving like an interesting lecture or conversation, I would probably be invested into what he has to say, but constantly doing it over and over. Yeah, I can see why people might find that boring. Yeah, it's just too much. Like 
Dialogue, even good dialogue, can only carry it so far. Yep. <clears throat> so, are we finished with this question before we move on to question number four? I just had one uh, one more small note. Okay. Um, so, like, with Final Fantasy VII Remake, whenever you first get to Aerith's house, you know, there's no extra prompt or anything there, but you can tell that they put a lot of work into it, and it looks really beautiful as it is. And there was nothing there to be like, oh, hey, look, pay extra attention to this because it's a walking segment. It's like, no, I found that out on my own, and it should just be more seamless like that. Yeah, because um, I know, um, for instance, like, um, I really like Uncharted 4, but I'm going to be honest, the first, the beginning of the game is pretty slow. It doesn't really pick up till Scotland goes. There is a bunch of like forced walking segments, but I think once you once you get to the action, it does start to pick up a little bit. I think it's kind of like that because of how Uncharted Three ended. Like Drake is kind of retired, so he would be <laughs> lounging around in his house. I thought the Crash Bandicoot thing was cool where they let you play it, but uh, it is slow. But when it gets to Scotland and you get like to shooting people, it, it gets really entertaining. So I did enjoy that at least. At least the payoff was worth it as opposed to having a long, boring walking segment and you really don't feel any payoff or you don't feel anything from the characters. And see, that's always cool whenever they manage to incorporate, you know, the pacing or the story to actually work with the gameplay, kind of like with uh, Dead Space 2. It plays a lot, lot tighter than the first Dead Space because Isaac has done this already. He's had, you know, he's already gone through all that, so he's going to be a little bit better than when the first time it happened. Yep. That's why it's more of an action game because you have a lot more stuff coming at you, but I I'm cool with that. I, I think it was like that for me with uh, RE1 to RE2. You get more ammo, you get more equipment, um, you get better stuff, and eventually you'll be able to take care of the threats and zombies in the game. So I had no problem exactly. with games like that. Mm -hmm. But let's move on to question number four, which is an easy one. Easy. What are your thoughts on QuickTime events being implemented in the AAA gaming medium? Can I uh, go first on that one really quick? Sure. Go ahead, man. Um, sure. So, QTEs fucking suck. Um, <laughs> they were they were great for their time. Uh, and, you know, there are some games where it kind of makes sense why they would have them. Uh, hi, Shenmue. But, um, <laughs> but as far as, like in this day and age, like, most AAA games should avoid using them at this point, unless if that is, like, literally the gimmick is that the game is entirely filled with QTs. Uh, but I do think that, I think it was one of the Lords of Shadows games, I remember people talking about that and saying that that, um, they, like, have the option to, like, remove QTs altogether. So that way you could just watch the cutscenes. I swear I they did nice. that in Spider-Man as well, right? Yeah, you can oh, take out the cuts yeah. on the QTs. Yeah, that was that oh, was I don't cool. remember that. Yeah, you can go to the options and uh, cut all the QuickTime events. It's like, I, if you're going to have them in the game, at least make them optional. That would be just fine. Get them out of the way, you know? Yeah. yeah. And I think in some games it works better than others. Like, I think Resident Evil 4 is a really good example of how to use QTEs, except for that fucking knife fight with Krauser. I can't tell you how many times I've lost on that one. <laughs> 
Um, yeah. But other than other than Krauser's knife fight, I, I thought QTEs were executed in that excellently, and that goes along with the the story and everything rolling in with the gameplay. Because it's a survival horror, even if it's more on the action edge, it's still a survival horror at its roots, and you're still on edge and tense. So having a surprise QTE actually fits in with it, I think. Yeah. Um... The Yakuza games do a pretty good job with QTEs. Um, they do have them during boss fights, but here's the thing. You're still fighting the boss when the kind of happens, and when it does, you always get, like, this really cool move of, like, you always do, like, this really cool stuff with them. And I know in Yakuza 2, when you... Yeah. <laughs> no, it's like, feel the heat. Like, yeah, feel, oh yeah, that's right, feel the heat, yeah. Because they had that in Yakuza 3, I think, right? Yeah, like, one thing I love about that is, like, when you <laughs> deal enough damage to a boss, you can actually defeat them. Like, basically, you have to mash the button, and you go, like, full heat, and you can do, like, a super move on the boss. It's pretty lit. I really like it. Or, like, in, in Bayonetta, once you get them down to a certain point of their health, it does a... A small cutscene of you know some super move that either the boss or bayonet is gonna do, and then you use your uh you know your wicked weave. I'm thinking of like the dragon fight in the Colosseum. You use your wicked weave to rip off its head, feed it to your demons, and then it just rolls right back into gameplay. Oh yeah, Bayonetta's fucking brutal. I know, um, I know, no, I know, no, Rising had quick comments, but the QZs in that game are pretty fun. I love that one. That's true. I love the one quick time of that where, like, when you fight Milgar Excellus and Ryan rips off one of its legs and just basically you do this, like, really cool clash before slamming it onto it. It was pretty just, man, that shit was awesome. I think, for sure. I think quick time events mostly just boil down to watching a cool cutscene and pressing X to win or pressing X and, you know, um, you're too slow and you might die and you're just. (laughs) essentially trying to avoid that death screen uh it is cool in some instances like i'm not gonna lie like i've seen some of the death scenes from resident evil 4 and they are quite gruesome uh so Mm -hmm. that's like if you're into watching like what happens after the fact if you don't make it then this cutscene occurs and i think that's pretty awesome at the same time it is something implemented in the game that is not skill dependent at all you're just mashing buttons until you win uh i think this was implemented the worst in resident evil 6 where you're wiggling the controller sticks and you're doing all the stuff and it's convoluted they had to patch like the last section where you're climbing up a rope and leon's like you got to press all the triggers and if you let go you fall i i really just don't like it when it gets too you know it gets way too complicated for its own good the problem with re6 is it has quick events in almost like i want to say every chapter in the entire game every chapter every scene is it's ridiculous it gets obnoxious after all it's like just let me play the game you know i mean re4 and 5 at quick events, but here's the thing they weren't as annoying i mean no they were very spaced out yeah, exactly. Yeah, They're the really only one that uh, for five in particular that gives people issues is uh, if you're playing a Sheva at the very final boss. That one's like apparently <laughs> very easy to fuck up, and apparently yes, it, yes, it is. <laughs> it it has a very huge failure failure rate on uh, PC. 
Um, oh, I wow. looked this up when I was playing with uh, Captain Chaos, one of, one of our other members. And uh, yeah, we decided, uh, fuck it, and just use an RPG. So it's... it's um, <laughs> there are some times where QTs are just kind of fucking annoying. Actually, I, I had mentioned uh, Shenmue earlier as well. Uh, in... In Shenmue 2, there are some QTEs, like, especially towards the, or right on the final boss, actually, uh, that are very easy to fuck up. And if you fuck up any of the QTEs, you have to do redo the entire fight and then do the Jesus. QTE again. <laughs> so Deadman said that uh, Resident Evil 4 was a good example, and I disagree with that. I think that... In Resident Evil 4, when the QTEs happen, at any time, it's just, it's disrupting the gameplay. Like, it takes it away from you, and it's like, push these buttons real quick, and it's, it's stupid. I, I it can be done good, but when they take the gameplay away from you and then throw that in there, uh, someone, I think Dom said that if you put the gameplay around the QTEs, then it's really good. Uh, two examples I can think of are older games. So Legend of Dragoon... The whole combat system is QTE-based. You attack, and when the uh, button gets into the circle, you tap it at the right time, you do more damage, and you finish a combo. If you miss, you don't get the combo, you do less damage, and you don't build up uh, Dragoon points to use your armor. And then you got Paper Mario on the 64, where you time your button presses when you hit the jump, or when you're using a hammer, or when you're using items, you got to push certain buttons. Uh, those are good examples of QTEs, and a more recent game is like Stick of Truth, where they put some of that in like in, in like yeah, in an RPG game. Like it, it works really well, so it can be done. But I think when you have a certain game and you just toss them in there, then it just it ruins uh, the gameplay itself. So right, I don't, I don't just think they're phenomenal in Resident Evil 2. I'm just saying it does make sense from like a, a narrative and everything else standpoint. But yeah, they could have just as easily removed them and it would have been just fine. I think I would have probably enjoyed the Krauser knife fight more had those QTEs not been in there. Because I fucking hate that part. Every single time I come up to it, I'm either like, nope, I'm turning it off for now. Or I try it a couple times and I'm like, okay, I failed it. I'm done. I'm going to try this a different day. Like, I hate that knife fight just because I have to QTE it. But if I didn't have to QTE it, I might actually like that scene more because it's fucking badass watching it. But the whole time you're stressed out because I can't tell you how many times I've gotten to the last QTE and I fucked it up and then I had to do the whole damn thing again. I want to piggyback off of what uh, Too Many Plays said, where it's like, you know, games built around quick time events can work. I think Gahan is a perfect example. It's like, you know, you can punch people in the space, you can spank hookers, and you're mashing <laughs> buttons at the same time. So it's like, it's like, the greatest, it's like the greatest thing ever when you do these actions and you get rewarded for it, like just taking people down. Like, you want to feel, I, I think it works best for like power fantasy games, like maybe Super superhero games or something where you know it, it really doesn't require a lot of technical skill you're mostly just trying to uh either evade or mash to ultimately win in a fight but doing all these cool moves and animations i think it supplements the gameplay yeah. exactly the, the naruto games actually did a pretty good job with quick comments because like the way like you know the way they're done like as you're playing a boss when they do a move and they go into it. it's really well done. 
That's yeah, that's very true. Uh, you posted Naruto Storm two, uh, two in the chat, and uh, two was I think the best one out of them all. Three might have done it just a little, or no, I'm sorry, three was the best one because I think three was the one where they started doing the if you get this many stars, we sh will show you extra scenes. So like you also have something to work for. Yeah, I know you're talking about the secret factors. Like if you yeah, if you get all the um... If you manage to get all the prompts correct, like if you manage to get all the prompts, you'll earn stars. And if you manage to get all the stars, you'll get like a secret factor, which is really cool. And it actually flushes out the fight a bit more because you you kind of get a little bit of story there on the snippet of it, which is really nice. Um, I've actually got two more points on this that I uh, just now thought of. Um, Assassin's Creed, I'm pretty sure it was two. It might have been Brotherhood. Um, they had small little QTEs in there, not thinking of like the first one, but throughout the game, where if you missed them, it just slightly changed the cutscene after that. But it's like if you missed them, it's not a big deal. It just it keeps rolling on. I think that's pretty good when they do uh, QTEs like that. Like um, the one that I can think of off the top of my head is I think one of the first times you meet Leonardo after your uh, father and brothers were executed, he like goes to give you a high five or something. And I wasn't paying attention, and I, like, happened to look up at the last second, and he just, like, kind of puts his hand down, like, oh, okay. But, like, it just keeps rolling on after that, like nothing happened. Um, and oh, then yeah. going around um, um, the QTEs being built into it, Heavy Rain also does it good, or, you know, really any of the Quantic Dream ones, because what? those are completely dependent on the QTEs, and if you miss one or if you do something wrong, it can change the story entirely from then on. Yeah, because the thing is, in Heavy Rain, um, you can kind of, well, I'll put it this way, you can fuck up, but you can't fuck up too much, because you can actually get uh, some of the characters killed, and if that happens, um... I would say save that for, uh, one. save that for number 10, because right. that is oh, a question. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to move on to question number five, so Dom, could you read that off, please? Yeah, sure thing. If you could take only one i'm sorry if you could only take one notion with you uh below what would it be choose between a or b good gameplay and a bad story bad story but good gameplay good gameplay uh i think we all gameplay. Yeah. probably will agree with a <laughs> not much of a choice well, i mean we yeah. we did kind of discuss this in um in the second segment or let's see yeah so second question um, you know, m mostly it's a video game, so it, it should have a good story at the point that we're at now, but first and foremost, it's a game, so it needs to be actually fun to play through, and then you can focus on the story later on. Yeah, there's exactly. pretty much no uh, excuse for having a poor story with all the writers that we have available nowadays. And this yeah, it's, it's, it's two separate teams. Either. Yeah, exactly. Well, I guess if you yeah. look at it from this perspective, if you have gameplay, it's a game. If you have just a story, that could be multiple things. If you have a story but no gameplay, then it's just a story. It's a book. Yeah, or it's a movie. It's a movie. Yeah. Gameplay is essential. It's what, it's what makes a game a game. So having good gameplay is kind of important. Maybe, maybe it's, it's crucial. So, so here's my uh, stance on this. Like, uh, you know, and I've already kind of said, like, yeah, you, you're going to need a good game, obviously, in order to, for it to be fun. Uh, with a bad story that that's there like yeah it's there in the gameplay you know it might be fun but then you might not recommend it to like somebody else like or you might only recommend it like after like oh like 
let's just say like one playthrough you'll say like okay one playthrough is more than enough after that you don't really have to touch that game again um but i think part of the problem with like a bad story is like what makes it bad um could it be that like say said writer is injecting their own like personal politics in into the game's narrative which is something that a lot of people just don't want to see or is it a problem of it is just a legitimately poorly written story because they've gotten very incompetent writers that don't know how to tell a good story or their um, ea yeah or their <laughs> EA. yeah okay uh, to be fair so, ea about some pretty good stuff mass effect 3 was su- superb except for pro- uh, priority earth that's mm. like the, it was like the game was amazing up until that point and then they left that weird cliffhanger ending and then it's like oh yeah by the way here's andromeda and it's like can you like completely confirm what happened with the last game or or what i no, think man. i think people make you pay a lot extra later on yeah i think people <laughs> rib on ea mostly for the modern stuff that they do because they've made more bad decisions than those recently yeah Anthem's oh, one of them <laughs> and also canceling um, the death space series that was a oh, huge God, yeah. well, I we died a little inside. tiger woods golf was a fucking banger <laughs> they uh, actually ran. They did a good job with the Jedi Fallen Order. I heard the story in yeah. the game is actually really good. I, I still give full credit to Respawn because they made Titanfall 2 and that was also a good game, so that was a no brainer. And, and see, that's man. that's part of it too is the developers, or I'm sorry, not the developers, the uh, publishers need to stay out of whatever's doing. The publishers need to be there to just be like, here's your money, go for it. I was very hesitant on Sekiro because Activision had a hand in it until I read a review that's like Activision said, no, beyond the title screen, all of this is from software. None of it is us. We just supplied the money. That's one of the few reasons I actually still bought Sekiro was because I was like, "Uh, is there going to be microtransactions or what? This doesn't, uh," but I mean, beyond it just being having the name on there, it still was a very good game. Agreed. Fucking hard, but good. Hard and delicious. Yes. Much like Cloud Strife. Oh, God, I know. <laughs> I mean, he's got the hard edge, if you know what I mean. <laughs> oh, man. People want to fuck him like Jesse, I see. Okay. Oh, dude. They want him in the dress, though. I mean, don't get me wrong. Jesse could get it, too. <laughs> oh, there we go. I have a threesome. Hey. I will say, Cloud in that dress is making me question whether I like traps. Oh, dude. Oh, <laughs> God, bro. I'm going to turn left. Oh, my God. Fuck. <laughs> I think we need I'm to move on to the last. next question. Well, with traps, man, you get the best of both worlds. Uh, yeah, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna turn left. <laughs> so far left. Oh um, man. But but yeah, I I just think like like as far as like that, because like you could have a, a situation with like say, like look at you know we've we've roasted the Devil May Cry reboot like plenty of times here here on our podcast, right? And like. Um, one of the things with that game is, like, if you were to remove any semblance of, like, Devil May Cry and actually got, like, good storytelling for that game rather than just, like, really cringy and forced, like, edgelord writing over there, um, that game wouldn't be as bad. In fact, a lot of people actually even give it credit where credit is due as far as, like, you know, the combat being decent enough for a western hack and slash. Um... But it is one of those things where it's like, 
writing has to be like if if you're going to have a story that's going to be written by somebody it has to be well written and it has to be done in a way where it's primarily focused on the characters and and the subject matter rather than just trying to force in certain things like making fun of like the player base or trying to push like politics and stuff like that yeah see like uh, but i think and, and this is also speaking as someone who's not a long time fan of devil may cry i just recently came into it um i think that it's one of those things where if it was if it didn't have the devil may cry name on it it would not be hated nearly as much and i think the same thing about metal gear survive metal gear survive is not a horrible game but it's completely off the rails from what it's supposed to be it's a bad metal gear game like i'm this way decent exactly game, bad metal gear game yeah yeah exactly so like dmc it's a good game but it's a really bad dmc game yup yeah i feel the same way about uh resident evil operation raccoon city is like you know (laughs) that game could have had some potential but since they slapped resident evil on there a lot of people expected a lot from that game and it fell expectations like miserably yeah i I think that game just just happens to suffer from a rush job yep like slant six didn't get the time that they deserved and also on top of that um, because this is also the case with DMC, uh, Capcom didn't let them use uh, empty framework, and they were just stuck with using more or less a mobile game engine. Like Hexane engine was mostly used for mobile games, so uh, definitely shows. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it shows. So it's like, had that game had maybe like more than six months, because it feels like it was assembled in six months. Had that game had like say like a year or two, plus. The involvement of Capcom on top of them using empty framework at the time, I think it would have turned out a lot better. Yeah, because um, I think DMC was using Unreal Engine three. Yes, uh, it's it's using Unreal Engine three because because um, Ninja Theory has like this huge hard on for Unreal, in particular with three. A lot of their games prior to that were made with Unreal three. Um. And it also shows because of the overall quality of that game. Lots of bugs Oof. and glitches. Well, to this day. Eh, at least uh, Unreal Engine got a lot better with the 4. Five, 5 is looking good too, so... Yep. Oh, yeah. oh yeah. For sure. We're, we're going to move on to question number 6. I'll read this one. So, how do you feel about the idea of realism being implemented in most mainstream titles? Do you think that it helps the experience, or do you feel like this hurts the gameplay? Uh, in, uh, in, what a- in what aspect? I, I guess, like, realistic graphics and also trying to have, like, you know, realism with animations and um, trying to apply attention to detail. Okay, see, I think for that, it's it should be more about like necessarily an art style or how well it's polished because Breath of the Wild is gorgeous. It's not realistic looking at all. Dishonored is also gorgeous in its weird art style, but the whole game is the art style. So it's beautiful in the sense that they they go for it. I don't think we should be trying to make photorealistic games because A, that's going to Jesus Christ, that's going to ramp up the storage space, and they already don't give us enough as it is. Um, 
but you know games are an art form so it should be more about the unique art styles you could come up with or borderlands for example borderlands has cell shaded and borderlands looks awesome the way that it is okay so i'm gonna present my case real quick uh i'm kind of 50 50 on this uh the reason is because i do appreciate attention to detail i like when i shoot someone in the fucking head and you can see his brains like fly across the corner and <laughs> when, you, early. <laughs> when you ch when you check on his body you'll see like just orifices and holes everywhere i think that God stuff damn. is cool uh because it shows that you know like they really care about like how uh npcs work and how the organs work and everything like that so it's cool to see but at the same time when realism is presented and they strip away gameplay elements like this has to be realistic as possible let's give my character a a, a button where you know um they do something and then they start to take out things like jump buttons and all that stuff because they want to make it super realistic they want to make it like not look wonky and I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't like that at all. I like when, you know, it's a game and I can do ridiculous and over the top things and I'm not penalized for it because of this whole realism style. That's what so, I really enjoy. There's, like a, there's a fine, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I was just say there's a fine balance between the two. I mean, cause you look at a lot of games, I think we mentioned this earlier about, you know, you can run a lot and then there's stamina meters which means you can't run and you have to walk somewhere or you wouldn't walk in the situation so they make you stop because it's more realistic mm -hmm. or you have a bunch of meters to you know look at uh what was it um we just talked about this game uh a red Raider redemption we have all the you have to worry about you know hunger and heat and all this other shit. It makes it more realistic and sometimes it can be fun if it's implemented properly but too much sometimes it can be too much it's just annoying and it's not even worth it See, it's been I'll say that much. Yeah. See, in that regard, like, I'm, I'm kind of glad you brought that up. Because uh, I don't know how many of you have actually played uh, Shenmue 3 or not. Uh, but, like, in Shenmue 3, they had, uh, they changed the way that, like, Ryo would end up spending money. So rather than just spending money on, like, capsule toys and, uh, like, doing just gambling, so that way you can, like, you know, buy moves, you can now buy like food and like other sorts of items and the problem with like the like food for example is that you're constantly running out of health just for like running a few flight of stairs and it, it gets annoying like really fast especially when you're trying to do the story but you need to eat so that way if you happen to get into a fight you have enough health to like deal with that because there's been plenty of times where like where I've played that game and uh, like I've gotten down all the way to like the bottom of my health bar because I didn't like feed Rio, and that's just not like to me that just got really annoying really fast because I shouldn't have to feed my character as if I was like feeding myself. Yeah, Dead Rising. And, and not, like not even just that, but just more so than myself. Dead Rising has an entire mode where if you don't eat anything in a lot of amount of time, you will die. Mm. Yeah. and it's it's not fun and you have to do this for like 13 hours is ridiculous Jeez, well to be fair with hours. that it's an extra mode it's not part of the main story so that at least gets a little bit of a path that's that's true but when it's like red dead or something like that you know it's very annoying to deal with yeah, i think if it's been fun with right uh when he said that there's like too many meters and there's so sometimes they do too much like you know you got your thirst meter you got hunger you got stamina and you're trying to play a game that really, you know, 
limits you to what you can do. So I think there's a way that it can be implemented good, like Detroit Become Human. That's an extremely realistic game, you know, with choices, uh, how you can get hurt. And they, I think they do it really, really well. Uh, like that's that's how realism games should go. But if you're playing Breath of the Wild, then they should, um, because it's a fictional game, have certain things to make it where it's more of an actual video game. Because you're not like a standard human being. You're you're the hero of time. Yeah. Uh, uh, my bad, dumb. You no, you're good. You're good. Go ahead. Okay. One thing I really hate and um. Eh, realism varies. I mean, some games do them well, some games don't. Like, I think, for instance, when Devil May Cry Bio was initially revealed, I was really mixed because I was not liking the art style too much. I was like, it looks nice, but I don't know. I'm just not really digging the character But more of when I saw the game, the gameplay, it started to grow on me. And the art style is pretty good, though. I do kind of wish there was more colors, but it's still... It still played like Devil May Cry, like from its gameplay, so it didn't take away too much, though. I'll admit, like, as good, gorgeous as the RE engine looks, the phases are a little... They can be off at times. I think if it just affects graphics and that's it, but the gameplay is absolutely batshit insane, then I'm fine with it. I have, I have no problems with the attention to detail as well as the gameplay being ridiculous. But uh, when it's like, you know, I'm stuck to like 6,000 meters and I can't run because my character has a sprint button and he gets tired. It, it does sound cool on paper. Like, oh, we have this realistic element. Let's use it. People get tired in real life when they run and jog. Let's use it in a video game. But it just gets annoying. And I think it got even more annoying when I was playing stuff like Daymare. And, you know, they have this mechanic where if you shoot a gun and you swap out your clip or whatever, if you do it like really fast, you would drop your clip on the ground in fear. Uh, this got super annoying really fast against like boss fights and enemies. I'm like, okay, there goes my 12 bullets on the floor just because I tapped the X button by accident. Uh, so it depends on how this realism stuff works. And if it doesn't work well, it's not good in my opinion. Yeah. Um, like, uh, going back to Red Dead 2, um, again, I've not played it, but I did see that one of the things was it being more realistic than the first one. So, like, I think it takes, what, 25, 30 seconds to skin an animal, and it's like, that is, that's too long for a game to be sitting there doing an animation like that if it's going to be something that you're going to be doing constantly. Because you're going to constantly be looting animals that you shoot in the wild for money and for upgrades and shit, and it's like, that's when it goes too realistic. And as far as all the bars and shit, if it's a game that has been established to do those kinds of things, that's different. So like an FTL, which is, you know, it's it, FTL is FTL. There's a whole bunch of stuff you have to manage, but it's a micromanaging game. So that's a little bit different than something like Red Dead Redemption 2, which is going to be more of a, you know, an action storytelling game. And then you've got all these bars on top of it. And that's like, I know they put a lot of work in it, but sometimes it's like you guys need to scale it back just a little bit. Yeah. 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 I think in that instance, it's because the, the realism facilitates good gameplay. For realistic yeah. gameplay, mm -hmm. it can work as long as it's still fun. Add as much realism as you'd like, but if it starts to detract from the actual fun of the game, then you got to scale it back. 
It feels yeah, like, like that stuff. The ball like... shrinking mechanic for the horses, that's just a fun little thing, but it's realistic and it doesn't detract from the actual gameplay. Yeah, it feels like this stuff will work better maybe for like a survival game where you have like limited supplies or something or maybe you right. have some sort of physical restriction but other than that like for like giant open world games or games where you're trying to like do something and you're trying not to worry about like oh if i take this tobacco will i shoot this guy in the head because arthur's tired or something that's just really ridiculous dude <laughs> oh yeah so, it's really dumb. so so and like also kind of in this regard because i have a couple of other thoughts on this um so one of my actual issues with like yakuza in particular like yakuza um despite being like very bombastic has a lot of like actual real life japanese products that you can see and and buy within the game too uh and i've always thought that was interesting but then uh with i believe it was i think it was like some of the later Yakuza's, like Yakuza 5, 0, and um, 6, and then I think Kiwami 1 and 2, uh, they had recently started getting in, like, real-life actors and uh, started pulling in, like, uh, like actual porn stars and everything like that. And it's like, okay, that's great. <laughs> you know, like, you could get, like, you know, real-life, like, like, even bigger celebrities that are, like, outside of, uh, like, the gaming sphere, right? But at what point are we gonna just say like this is this is a little bit much? Like you don't you don't really need to get porn stars to make you know waifus basically. I mean, <laughs> like... Actually, to add on to that, Dom, I feel like it could benefit in some ways because I know Yakuza Six they had Takeshi Katan. I don't know, and um, they had uh, what was his name Kazuchika Okada, the wrestler. Yeah. And they're actually done really well because uh, Katana's character actually has. A, pretty big role in the story yeah so so like in that case like you know and, and like in that like in my mind uh that kind of reminds me a lot of like the onimusha franchise where you know we had like takeshi kanashiro and and jean renault and stuff like that and um you know and that they're they're actual faces and at least in the japanese dub for uh takeshi kanashiro like that is his actual voice that that's being used so it's like uh at least in those regards like if you can make the character even more believable and and make the character look even cooler like that then then that's fine uh, i just think that there is like a point where it's like do do we really need all these like little bells and whistles sometimes <laughs> um but then alternatively right uh i look at like ghost of tsushima and i've i've literally watched the recent state of play gameplay at least like 15 times at this point i cannot get over how good that game looks and how like just vibrant and beautiful that game looks um i just really love how the environment looks in that game and i think like for environment environmental purposes right um if you can make a game that just looks very good and it, it like it looks photogenic then i think that then that's fine um, so long as it doesn't detract from the overall like gameplay experience. Yeah, like because I, I think like I, one of you all, uh, I think one of you all had brought up like DMC Five as well. Uh, yeah, I, did. Like, I brought it up. Yeah, like like DMC Five like uh, doesn't look like a bad game. It's just its problem is that um, coming off of uh, DMC Four and also the Devil May Cry reboot, DMC Four was a very vibrant and beautiful beautiful looking game. 
But then DMC DMC's problem was that it was oversaturated by the time the finished product came out because it wasn't always like that when you look at uh, like some of the earlier builds that they were showing off at game shows. Um, whereas the opposite problem is is actually occurring with DMC Five, where it's just too uh, too desaturated by comparison. And I think I think at least from a visual perspective, it, there's no problem with having something that's vibrant because things in in the real world are are vibrant so but you I, were gonna say something right i i think that uh going back to dead man's point um it's i i do like when i see stuff like you know recognizable faces or celebrities or whatever it's like it brings some brand recognition to the game uh especially with like onamusha 3 you know people like john renault then they would see him in that game as a playable character at the same time it does bring up the production value because you know these celebrities are going to want like tons of money for this and you know they're being scanned in and they're going to want something out of it so i think um it's cool to see but unless you're like a super triple a developer that has a lot of money in your bank then it's not a good idea to try this because once again it makes the game way more expensive than it needs to be also, to kind of to kind of go off hmm. of that point too, really quick, uh, getting getting an actual like film actor or TV actor doesn't always guarantee that it will it will make the game better. Just look at Ghost Recon Breakpoint. Yeah, like, they, they got had John, John Bernthal, Bernthal, and it was yeah. just such wasted potential. Like, I, I know Death Stranding had um, Norman Reedus and Matt Mikkelsen, which um, Matt actually does a pretty good job in the game, but. Norman Reedus just—you can tell he was there because he wanted to work with Kojima. Yeah, if they do something cool hey, with the source material, job actors, and the role yeah. that he was. Oh my bad. I said if they do something cool with the source material and actors, then yeah. But if it's just like their eye candy and the game's still bad, then what's the point? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. But uh, I guess we're moving on to the next one, which is number seven. Uh, so who wants to read that off? I'll go okay. with this one. All right. <laughs> Is it, am I reading it? I have no idea. Um, I'll get it, Dylan. You can do it, man. How do you feel about silent protagonist? Do you think we moved on from this premise, considering the use of complex story narratives and voice acting? I mm. do not think so. I think we can keep them forever. Think about Persona 5, which just came out recently. The protagonist never talks. He doesn't have to. The story, the gameplay, everything's still great, even without him talking. Any Shin Megami Tensei game has a silent protagonist. Uh, Digital Devil Saga, Nocturne, uh, none of them talk. And the story is always fantastic. It's the most uh, compelling story I've ever, ha- I've ever experienced in any video games. So... I, I kind of have like a differing opinion on this regard. Um, so I, I don't necessarily think that silent protagonists uh, need to necessarily go away. Uh, but definitely for games where you are making your own like original character, like say uh, Neo or um, like the way of the Samurai series, you make a completely original character from the ground up. And um, sometimes you can give them, like, basically just voice grunts, and you can change the pitch and stuff, but they never, like, actually talk. And it kind of makes you wonder what is the point of even 
adding those things if your character again never talks like i'm not saying that they need to have like a very specific voice actor they could have a very you know not necessarily bad voice actor but somebody that just sounds like kind of average or generic and you could just change the tone and pitch through like the game's like editing features i think the uh, whole if, point if is to that. sorry yeah, i think the whole point is to give you that role of the character so you have a silent protagonist they don't say anything yeah they have grunts or whatever but when you read their when you when you read what's going on you you're looking at it from yourself you know you're playing a game to really take yourself out of the real world especially when you're playing rpg when um silent protagonists are most commonly used so you're it's basically to put you in the shoes of that character is how i feel about it and that's that's how i feel when i play a game like that that's why i stand behind them so much well, it's I, all about immersion I like like and i mean i get that like I don't I don't think that necessarily that having a silent protagonist is bad per se. I just think that the option of having a character that does talk uh, wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing. Well, I, th I think it depends yeah. on the game. Some games it, are it very really obliquely trying to tell a story from a specific character. Some, and they want you to know this is a character doing a story. It's not your own experience. But some games are the opposite, and they want you to be in the story. They want you to feel the experiences, and it depends. Some games work better with Basically, voice acting, and some won't. I, I think, think yeah. this is all preference-based for me. Like, I, I, I don't have anything uh, particularly bad to say about, like, silent protagonists. I mean, one of my favorite games ever is GTA 3, and the protagonist there does not say a word outside of grunts and it was still a very enjoyable game but i do feel like if someone did have a voice or if they did emote and if they were relatable i would sympathize with them a little bit more because you could see their actions on screen as opposed to like you know uh the character has to react with like body language so i i still think that yes you can craft a story around those silent protagonists but i do think that um someone that can emote can like show you and convey those motions a little bit better so, i agree yeah. to, uh, what dylan was saying is uh shigeru miyamoto even said it when it comes to zelda which i'm sure i don't know how you guys feel about it but pretty much everybody loves zelda you know mm -hmm. and the way he said it you know everybody knows that old trope like his name is link because he's the link between you and the game blah 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 all that shit. <laughs> but he kept him silence uh or silent rather to piggyback off of what Dylan with an eye was saying is because it's supposed to be you. So it, they don't want you to feel like somebody else is talking for you in these games. You basically, you're supposed to just sit there and talk to your fucking TV and go along <laughs> with whatever is going on in the NPC world. And sometimes like with Zelda or other different games, it helps with immersion. You know, it, it puts you in the game. It puts you in the shoes of the character. I mean, it's, is it necessary for every game? Absolutely not. Uh, is it helpful? Sometimes. Is it shitty? Sometimes. It's kind of all a coin toss with that type of thing, I think, personally. Yeah, think that's why I said it's preference-based. Really, really quick, like, I think the, the problem with that kind of, like, notion is that if you have, like, say, like, full-on cutscenes, right, and you literally have other characters talking to your character and they're just standing there not saying shit, it, it kind of makes the cutscenes awkward. I agree. That was yeah. like one of the big things with Breath of the Wild. Like anytime somebody was like giving a whole monologue to Link and he just stood there like Yeah, okay. like, like, like that comes off as awkward. Like if you don't have like 
Okay, I could, I could understand, like, in the case where you have your own dialogue options, right, and you pick the dialogue option. Even then, it's still kind of awkward, but at least, like, okay, you respond, and that's... Then the other character is like, okay, you're talking to me, this is what you said, this is how I'm going to respond in, in, in regards to that response. But when you literally don't have that option, and characters are just talking to you, and you're just like... Okay, herder, I'm just gonna stand here like like a <laughs> fucking <laughs> retard. Like you know, like like it it just comes off at, as awkward. Like nobody does that if we're if we're going off of like just trying to make a more natural conversation. Yeah, yeah. like yeah. Well, I think so, in Zelda's it really well. Um, specifically, voice acting um voice acting adds a lot to the story because what like if like what your character is feeling is kind of like you know. As to the story and their character development, essentially. Yeah, but I, like I said, it's, I don't mind it because once again, you know, you can still craft a great story around an avatar that really doesn't say anything. I, I could also oh, yeah. see the other side where it's like, yeah, this is awkward as fuck talking to this hollow piece of wood. Uh, <laughs> so it's like, you know, it, it depends on how they present the game. I know, I know some people who really hate that notion of silent protagonists and reading text on screen. Personally, I have no problem with it when they do it sometimes in Yakuza. So it just depends on the person. I mean, they probably just can't read, and they mad. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, some people don't like reading. That's why they play games. I think it's perfectly, because they give you those choices. Like, even though he doesn't talk a lot, when there's a very major thing going on, it gives you, like, a couple of options. Even if they don't change the story, it changes the dialogue a little bit, and it kind of puts you in the shoes of the character. I, so I think I think Persona does it very well. That makes oh, yeah, I agree. This is a so story. Ren, um... you, uh, Ren, you brought up, like, Yakuza, but... The thing with yakuza is that like when you get into the actual like cutscenes, like side quests yeah the characters they actual talk. actually yeah, talk yeah i i know but... that but like i'm talking about when there's a lot of text boxes on screen and people yeah, are like i don't i don't yeah. want to scroll through this all the time this is why i don't like these games i i literally heard people say that about yakuza and um i'm like yeah i can i can see it's like kind of text scroll heavy with some of the boxes but i don't personally mind it because i'm a fan of rpgs and they did that since the dawn of time mm. yeah that gonna work i mean that's not a huge turn off for me personally you know as, as long say, as the story is still good that's all that matters oh yeah, yeah definitely i should say um voice acting can help a lot but when you have voice acting, you can't incur the risk of having really, really bad voice acting, which ruins it completely for me. <laughs> if you have true, something that's yeah. really, really bad, it just it, completely throws me off. Resident Evil 1. On Resident Evil 1. <laughs> yes. Oh the hammy fucking Devil May Cry 1. You Wait, was it one where he screams like, uh, wanted you to fill my darkness with light or something? I should have been the one to fill your dark soul with light. Yeah, that one. It's like, that one's so bad that it's good. Oh my god. Oh, I came from the classic Mega Man X. What? Oh god what damn. No, we're not gonna talk about that. <laughs> what am I fighting for? I'm fighting for. God if, damn it. If DMC 1 ever gets a remake, they should get Ruben to do the line oh my yeah. god dude, i think he's great. tried to do the line actually andre uh but he said he couldn't do the voice crack from, from that uh <laughs> when he says light <laughs> yeah unreplicatable because the thing with dmc one was um, <laughs> i guess the voice actor for not me um i know in an interview he said he kind of had to wing it essentially because they didn't really give him a lot of direction on how to do the characters so yeah mm. 
was also back in the day when that stuff wasn't very good. And I can say as someone who can crack their voice on purpose, it is a talent and it is very hard to do. Prove it. Oh boy. No. Hard no. Hard no. Damn. I think we're, we're good to move on to number eight though, right? Oh yeah, number oh, eight. Oh, yeah. real quick, I didn't get to get my point in with that one. Oh, okay. um, I do have to disagree with the Persona 5 thing, but that kind of goes in again. I'm not a huge Persona fan. I jumped in at five. I'm working my way through the backlog on those. Um, and I do think for Persona 5, having such good voice acting and very like diverse with it, it's kind of weird to me, especially because he'll talk in some of the cutscenes and he'll talk whenever he summons a Persona. You know, it's just Persona, but he says it. So it's like weird to me that he's silent for most of the game. Or, you know, at the very least, since you have so many choices to make, you, and and I know not all the cutscenes are, um, are voiced, some of them are just text boxes, but for the ones that you're actually interacting with your crew, it would be nice for him to say it, because I've heard the voice actor for Joker, and he's got a good voice. So it's not like one of those, you have that kind of dissonance, and, you know, it's not like, it's not like he's not his own character. Yes, he is the protagonist, uh, but he is still... A person that exists in that world and he's not just under your direction um and then my other point for that would be dishonored um it's kind of weird especially because the later games and even the dlc for the first one had you as dowd talking and it's weird for you to go through the entirety of dishonored and not say a word and that might just be one of those things because the sequels have come out and done it. It's weird to go back to it, which I still thought it was weird at the point because everyone's talking to you and Corvo's just eh, eh, doesn't say anything, just like kind of grunts and everything. And, you know, especially the scene where he gets poisoned and, you know, before he passes out, like he didn't you fuckers betrayed me you nothing he didn't say anything and it's just weird and i know they had the evil villain monologue and everything to play out but i think that the the silent protagonist thing only works as well as like say maybe the older zelda games where there wasn't really voice acting it's still kind of weird in breath of the wild but it still makes sense going off of tradition but they should have still given him some speaking roles whenever they actually had the voice acting cutscenes instead of him being silent but I think that the the silent protagonist thing works a lot better if it's text-based because there's still some good text-based games that have come out uh, recently that don't do voice acting and they do the silent protagonist thing fairly well. Like there was one last year, I can't remember um, the name of it, but I think it won like best indie game. I'm wanting to say that that was one of those where it was a silent protagonist kind of thing or you know, you just had choice A, choice B and then the story carries on. Hmm. Mm-hmm. But again, the persona, the persona thing, that's just probably because I'm a newer Persona fan, so it's weirder to me. That kind of threw me off in the beginning, so I was like, oh, I thought this, he was going to be voiced like everybody else. But I, it kind of grew on me later on, especially because you do still have your choices and you can still say whatever. It's just still weird that he's interacting with these people so much, but he never says a word. The only thing I'm upset with Persona-wise is that in the first one, they didn't get Hitler to do his own lines. (laughs) (laughs) That might have been a little difficult. (laughs) I mean, they'd they'd have to get Hitler sound-alike, though. I mean, they had the budget, man. I mean, he's in in Wolfenstein, too, so, you know, you can get that guy. (laughs) 
Get him it's in the there. best yeah, you can yeah. get. <laughs> but I guess we're good to move on to the next question. So, Dom, could you read that, please? Yeah, uh, RPGs are generally slower paced, and the genre includes grinding <laughs> in the mix that could be seen as repetitive. Uh, people, people still tolerate this notion. There's if there's a decent story or decent gameplay underneath. What do you think it? What do you think if this is the case, considering how long some of these RPGs tend to be? Um, so I'm not like super big into RPGs. I'm I've actually just started getting into them recently uh, with like FF7 and stuff like that. Uh, so I kind of don't have an opinion on this personally. Um, well, then I'll go speak anyways. I think it completely for me a lot of it depends on the gameplay. If you look, let's say you look back at NES era RPGs and they're very rough. There's not a lot. First, it's not a lot of story, but there's not a lot of gameplay either. They're just miserable. It's a horrible slug. If you fast forward to Final Fantasy VII remake, even if you know, people have complaints about the story and some people aren't so sure about it, but the game itself is just fun. It's just fun to play. Just fun to go hit enemies, mess around. So even though I have to do multiple battles, I don't. I kind of don't mind if the gameplay is fun. I don't mind just doing random things. And if story is not that great, then I'm okay with it. Uh, okay, so I'm gonna make mine really quick. I, I think what people tend to expect from RPGs now due to the connotation is that long game, bunch of gameplay, you know, and they also expect, um, you know, something decent from the story or the characters on top of that to immerse them for playing the game so long. I've seen that logic set countless times and I do agree there needs to be something there to be playing for like 60 plus hours. Like you're not going to be jumping into an RPG that easily to play for that fucking long if you are not getting anything out of it in terms of entertainment. That being said, um, I think grinding is 50 50 is like, I don't like it in particular but i know it's necessary because i want to level up my character so i can fight this next fucking boss that's like a level 5000 in the next room so it's like a necessary evil as to why it's in the game as right. for that's why people keep going on it over and over and over and it might be repetitive is because you want to get through it if you have to do it well for grinding i think it, I, it should be it. optional i mean yeah. a, a well balanced game will naturally level up and progress the game at the same time yeah, but you that know was, there, are, you know there are those RPGs where they stonewall you because you're not high rank enough to beat a certain enemy. It, yeah, it happens. Bad game design. That's not. It, it happens. If there's, but... if there's a good narrative thing behind it, it's more forgivable. I think mm -hmm. that, that especially in this modern time. Okay, back in the day, it's more excusable because there was less games coming out, so you kind of had to make one game last for a long time. Yeah, they were but just now. Exactly. Now with games coming out, literally every week we are getting probably like five new games. I mean, maybe not right this second because of the virus, but you know, we've had games coming out so much and there is no time to be able to, especially if you're someone like me who has a lot of different tastes, there's no time to play every single one of these if you're going to grind. So like as much as I want to cover Persona 5 right now, or I'm sorry, uh, cover the Royal, I don't have time to cover the Royal because that is 80 hours, even just by itself without any kind of grindings whatsoever. Okay, Final Fantasy my... VII, I did play all the side quests, so I was at a decent level. But if it's um, it's like, if it's not fun said, 
if you if the game is leveling you up to the point where you need to be as you're going through it then that's great now grinding post game that's fine because that's whatever you can do super bosses which are a huge staple in rpgs that's fine i don't think you should have to grind while you're playing the story because that breaks it up too much if you're having to be like oh well shit i can't see the next part of the story because this boss is 10 levels higher than me and kicking my ass okay so here's here's my point of this okay so people say it's bad game design but the game can still be good around it even if they decide to make this stuff optional and you go through the story but you need to have this mandatory grind it's like i've played grandia and i know that i had to fight bosses that were higher ranked than me so i had to do all this size stuff in order to beat the boss that still made the game great but some of these things that are in rpgs it is to be expected like I do like those games like Sekiro where it's like, you know, it's cool that you can uh, use your skill. You don't have to really level up per se, but then you can look at the flip side like, okay, this boss one shots me and I have to get really serious in order to beat this fight. And sometimes it could be annoying in terms of difficulty. So I think it more along the lines depends on how the game is balanced and how fun it could be, even if there's these mandatory or optional grinds in play because this happens in mostly every RPG that we play. Right. And see, if you're just having to go out and specifically go out to grind, that sucks. But if you're doing, if you're at a wall in the main story, okay, this boss is 10 levels higher, I can't get past. Oh, but hey, look, there's some side content I can do. You can do the side quests and you're still being immersed and um, I can't think of the word for it, but you're still doing stuff with the story so it's not as much as like a yeah yeah you're still progressing even if you're doing progressing with little side stuff you're still progressing in the story of the world and you're not you know because a lot of things will give you exp for side quests so it's not like you're you're still getting some little bits of story but you're still progressing with your levels and it's not like okay well i gotta go out and fight 50 monsters to get up to the next level so then you're zoned out for it for a bit yeah, and I think that's the most ideal way. Like, uh, it, it all goes to like what people were saying earlier. Like, back in the day, you know, you had to make games last and shit. So it's become tradition more than anything. Mm-hmm. But on, like, playing devil's advocate, I guess, for grinding. And grinding fucking sucks, don't get me wrong. But, like, when you finally when you finally are able to just kick in that fucking door and beat the shit out of Lavos or whatever, it's so rewarding feeling because you actually worked for it. Yeah. You know, so there's always that oh, yeah. plus of like the gamer's reward. This is the reason why we all play games. You yeah, know? it's it's that, repetitive. That it's repetitive, so, so. but at the same time, is like if you're gaining stuff and you're progressing naturally and you're finding new things, then that does enhance the replay value like a lot. In, as long as the game's on. In in, in, oh, yeah. in kind of that regard, though, I, I kind of want to bring up like this point of like uh, there are times where grinding might feel a little bit too excessive uh, oh yeah oh definitely definitely. Cause I'm, definitely I'm like because recently i've been playing um uh assassin's creed origins and you have to do a lot of fucking grinding just to like get all of your gear up into like a certain like um like level because you have to like craft all of your items but you can't craft items until you hunt down certain animals to get like certain pellets you have to like constantly steal like uh, steel and copper and shit like that, and it's like, or steel and bronze. It's a pain in the ass, uh, man. 
So it's like, and you have to the the problem with it is more so not having not necessarily having to do that stuff but how often you have to do it just to get the amount that you need to make like a fucking like bracer for your armor or something yeah exactly you know what i mean um, i think grinding would be a lot cooler if they uh not all games i guess but like if they could incorporate like how they did in earthbound like if you're obviously op for this like small enemy it just takes them out automatically you don't even have to go through the fight like if you're obviously going to beat them it should just take them out, you get the XP, move the fuck on, you know? Mm. They did that in Persona 5, and that was really handy. Dude, it's so oh, helpful, yeah. and it it's makes you feel like a um, badass. To answer your question, actually to add on to it, um, Sounds Great Odyssey is a lot worse, because I know in that game, grinding in that game is like a giant pain in the ass, because you have to do, and I think what's worse is some of the enemies can actually one-shot you, even if you're like one level lower than them, which... That, that like, can happen in... Um origins as well you could get one-shotted by certain enemies if you're like in an area that you're technically under leveled for and they have like i also certain, think uh, it would it wasn't wouldn't have been as egregious as the past what um seven or eight games however many there were before those weren't just a strictly action game i think the shift from those to rpg was a terrible idea because i got pissed i, I rented on uh, origins uh, whenever it came out, because I hadn't picked up an Assassin's Creed game in years, not for any particular reason, I just hadn't been able to. And I was like, okay, let's see what this new thing is all about. I got pissed the moment that I tried to assassinate somebody, and it only took out like a quarter of his health because it wasn't high enough. I was like, this isn't fucking Assassin's Creed, this is something else. Yeah. The stealth is useless in that game. Like, even if you, like, manage to do a stealth kill, it won't actually kill them. It'll take off some of their health, and you'll have to actually fight them. Which... You, you, um, so, because I've been playing the game a lot recently, you have to, like, craft your hidden blade and, well, like, parts for your hidden blade so that way you can, like, upgrade it. And you have to constantly do that so that way you can get it to a high enough level where you can, like, instantly one-shot enemies. And granted, like, when you go back to, like, like early-level areas, like, you'll feel, like, that significant difference. But then there are times where you're just kind of, like, going to some of the areas that you're probably on par with or just a little bit higher. And it just feels like you, you know, like, for your weapons, if you're using a sword, it just feels like you're just hitting guys with a stick. And it's like... Yeah. For for your other weapons that works but it's assassin's creed so that hidden blade should no matter what always be an insta kill if you get a sneak kill because that's the whole point of it which i think yeah. they're actually adding that back in with valhalla because everybody hated that i think yeah. they're toning down the rbg elements a little bit in valhalla and it won't be as frustrating to grind in that game but like I right. said, we'll see and when they show gameplay and that's also another thing where if it wasn't Assassin's Creed, it wouldn't have irked me as much because of, and I'm fine with shaking up the formula. I, I might not exactly like it, but I'm fine with shaking up the formula. But if it doesn't work with it, like in that specific instance, you know, if I can't just go and assassinate somebody because I'm hidden because they're at high enough level, that sucks because I've been able to do that for the past seven or eight games. Basically, because um, I know like in Persona Five, like you mentioned, um, Dead Man. Um, the thing is, the reason that game's um, the combat is really good. But another thing I like about it is like, even if you're like really struggling on that game, you like if you put on the lower difficulty, I'm safe. 
Um, it's it's not too bad because the game is pretty fair usually. Like they do give you a lot of items and options, and essentially, like grinding becomes kind of a non-issue as you like you know go through it. And I think I know mementos really helps a lot in that case. That's true. Yep. But that also goes back to the point where it's balanced, uh, or at least I played it on safe difficulty just because I wanted to get through the story, and now I'm trophy hunting it, so that's a little bit different. But even on safe difficulty, you can still struggle a little bit, and I never felt like I was too over or too under-leveled for where I was in the game. And, you know, that's doing the side quests, you know, the, the mementos or quests as it comes up. You know, I never felt like I was anywhere other than exactly where I should be for where I'm at in the story. Oh, yeah, definitely. As I said yeah. in chat, it's a game that has another genre as the forefront, and they try to put in RPG mechanics. It's like Trial by Fire. Like, I, I really wasn't digging the RPG mechanics in God of War 2018. I feel like, you know, it, it really didn't add anything to the experience. So I'm like, yeah, if, if a game does that, then I'm just not feeling it. But on, I think this, it did it. I think it did it a little bit better than Assassin's Creed, but I'll agree with you. It, it's definitely weird going from, you know, all the rest of the God of Wars where it's hack and slash. You know, if you want a new skill, then you get your points up for it. If you want you it have to have higher numbers, magic. then that's just weird. Yeah, now you have cooldown on your magic. Leads, I think that also kind of yeah. leads into this problem now, where, and I know this is a little bit, like, divergent of the actual, like, subject, but... I think this is kind of leading into the problem now where like developers they have these long-lasting franchises and for whatever reason they think well we are tired of making the same type of game let's fuck up the formula or change the formula and make something completely different but slap on that like title because we don't know if it's going to sell if it doesn't have that title on there and I think there's kind of like this like lack of confidence from developers like, they just don't want to take the risk of making something new and doing something completely different that's not tied to said long-lasting franchise. And doesn't. And some and, of it's the publishers, too. Yeah, yeah. and, and in, in some cases, like, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to not be tied to said, like, franchise. It could be, like, a spin-off and just, you know, do that new style. Like, nobody's they saying they can't do a spin-off oh, spin like yeah spin-off. Yeah, yeah just like no well, like assassin's creed do... started as a um as a new engine thing for prince of persia, prince of persia and then they ended right. up going with it because it was like well this is different enough that we can go ahead and start our own new ip with it so like right. it has some of the prince of persia dna but it's wildly different or like uh devil may cry starting off as a uh or a Sorry, uh, Resident, no. Devil May Cry starting as the new Resident Evil, but then they're like, okay, this is different enough, so we start our own thing. And so, then I think Resident Evil used some of the DNA from the original and from uh, Devil May Cry. Yeah, yeah I think so, that's how so that the worked. thing with like that is like, like Capcom, which is perfect example of that. Like they used to like, if they were making a game, they would make it off of like Resident Evil or something else. And they were like, okay, well, this is too different we need to change it to make something else. So that's how we right. got things like, at least in the case of like when RE4 uh, was coming out, that's how we got things like Haunting Ground and Devil May Cry and um, some of these other like franchises that like, you know, they have some things that like you can tell came from Resident Evil 4's like pre, pre-release uh -huh. builds, but 
clearly it's different enough to where it has become its own thing. Like Actually, even... right. Um, Animusha. I know Animusha was supposed to be RE4 if I remember. Uh, RE, no, uh, Onimusha no. was actually supposed to be its own RE Ninja Gaiden, off. wasn't it? It's supposed to be its own samurai spinoff called uh, oh, yeah, Sengoku right, Biohazard. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Sengoku Biohazard. Yeah, How, actually. However, uh, the dolls from the 3.5 build of Resident Evil, uh, where Leon's going through the castle and he starts like seeing like the Hookman and shit. Um, yeah. There, there's some dolls that start chasing him around in that build, and those were actually transferred over and implemented into Onimusha Three. So, oh, yeah. stuff like that has has happened where they've like taken certain things from other games and like or pre-built and implemented it into another game. Like I think the uh, actually one of the areas from Three Point Five was implemented into the Lost of Nightmares uh, DLC for RE Five. So, but. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to smack my mic, but, but in you know in in that that regard at least like, I don't I don't particularly understand why developers can't just take, you know if they want to change the formula right, um, why not just change, change uh, change it to a new game or just make it a spinoff so that way it doesn't really alienate the core player base. Mm-hmm. So, I know it's diverging, but it is something that I wanted to bring up. Yeah. So, anyone have anything to say before we move on? I do have one tiny point going off of uh, uh, Dom. I think that's what they tried to do with Operation Raccoon City is make it different enough. It just didn't work in that instance, I think. Maybe because it still had the uh, Resident Evil name on it. There's no telling. I know they did try to make it different enough because, you know, the the, uh, co-op shooter thing was the biggest thing at the time. And, like... Renegade had put in the chat, you know, RPG and open world is in right now. They tried to do something new with it, but it didn't work. And I know that's part of the fear of doing something new, but it also is bad if they take something that is existing and that's, you know, the formula is fine enough and then they shake it up too much. Yep. Yeah. So anyone else before we move on? Dude, please no. All right. So, um, we are on question number nine, which is easy for me. Uh, what is the perfect balance between intervals of gameplay and cutscene length? And I think as long as the cutscene isn't Metal Gear Solid 2 Hideo Kojima cutscene is going on for like 30 minutes, <laughs> then that's oh, no, fine. Four, I'm, I'm going to stop you right there. there. <laughs> I'm going to stop you right there because, see, MGS... Uh, one, two, and three. Like as far as like cutscenes go, like the length of those are fine. Like three was pushing it, uh, but at two least you have like too. a lot of fucking two. gameplay to like replace I, it. I kind of four like on the other hand, a little bit more than yeah. three. Four, four is on the other long, hand, yeah. you literally have like a movie after a movie after a movie with every fucking cutscene. It's like I, I, I bro, think that's what's on that now. too. I think with most games today, you shouldn't notice. You shouldn't notice the cutscene in the gameplay. Like, like if you're playing The Witcher, The Witcher Three, you really don't notice when you're when you're in a cutscene or when you're in the game because you always feel like you're it's The seamless. Witcher. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's yes. just basically it's seamless. Yeah, that's the perfect. I think now that's the perfect time limit to have is no time limit. You just don't notice it because you're still playing the game even during the cutscenes. Because um, the answer exactly. obviously said Renegade. Um, I love MGS2. Like it's a great game. But I'm not gonna lie, the game gets it gets really cutscene heavy, especially later when you go to Arsenal Gear and there's like a shitload of like mm-hmm. coded conversations and 
I know at one point there's like this 10 minute monologue you have against the AI kernel. I yep. was like, I was like, come on, man, just let me get to the game. I know, like, yep. I I had I had to be in that Kodak call for like 20 minutes. I was like, what? <laughs> it was. Uh, I mean, it's fascinating. Depth. Don't get me wrong, but I was like, what is going yeah. on? Death Stranding, I think, is probably like, the worst. My bad. Oh no, no, but um, it's interesting, but at the same time, it's like. I kind of want to get to the gameplay, and like MGS4, I know it's like three hours of gameplay, and I want to say nine to ten hours of cutscenes. Like it's really yeah, ridiculous. it's like eight and a half hours long. Okay, so yeah. someone said Death Stranding. I swear it wasn't the ending like yep. two hours. It, the dude. ending was like two and a half hours. Like yeah. I, I, I played it and I didn't realize the ending was going to be that long. Otherwise, I would have waited because I had work the next day. And I like, I think I finished the game, like the gameplay segment, at like eleven o'clock, eleven thirty, and I was still up at like two thirty watching the credits roll. I was still like, Jesus fucking Christ, Kojima, did you not learn your lesson from Metal Gear Solid Four? Yeah, I love you, and you make awesome games, but goddamn, reel it back just a I mean, little longer than me. And the funny thing is, Deadman is uh, there is gameplay during that ending. You basically just walk around, and, I'm, and as like Amelie talks to you, I'm just thinking to myself, this should have been a cutscene instead of gameplay. I mean, it's just yeah, it it is interactive, but it's not interactive enough to justify it. Yeah. The, the other thing too is like, um, since we were talking about like Metal Gear, you could have the opposite problem where you have like MGS5 where. There is like hardly any story, and your story was in the, that, the cassette tapes. Yeah, and then yeah. and then on and then on top of that, like, because like you didn't have any like you didn't really have any cutscenes. It was like barely there, and they just kind of assumed you listened to the cassette tapes. And then it's, it's like you're trying to listen didn't. to the cassette tapes while you're out in the world, and then Miller just pops in like, "Hey, Snake, did you know about this?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, and 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 aside from that, like. You also have the added problem of like MGS5's world, mostly barren. Like hardly any threats to the world. Uh, you don't have like search parties and like all this other stuff that was like that was like a threat to you in like say MGS3. MGS3, I feel like that was like the best way to implement like traveling between like base to base because you had like so many different things that could be a potential threat to Snake. Like, he had search parties going after him. He had, like, certain wildlife that could attack him. And it wasn't just, you know, the typical, like, dog or hyena that would just go and try to attack him in, like, some random fucking, like, plane of, like, grass or some shit like that. Like, so I think yeah. I think if you're going to do, do something like that, you have to have a good amount of story cut, like, cutscenes, but not to the point where it's overbearing and people just you know want to be like can i can i go and take a leak or is there going to be like another two hours worth of cutscenes? <laughs> and then the opposite problem of where the gameplay not necessarily bad but there's not a whole lot for you to do because you could also have like that issue of like I, I don't mean to bring up assassin's creed again but where most of your work is just just do busy busy work fetch quests and it's not like really fun to do you're just doing it because it gets you better stuff type of deal, you know? Yeah, no, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I mean, for me personally, this might be a little too technical for it, but I always imagined like a 90-10 percentage where 10% of the game is cutscenes just because maybe it's an old-fashioned way of seeing it with older games, but when cutscenes weren't as prevalent, I always thought of it as a little treat. You finish a boss or you do something really important and you get a small break with a cutscene. 
like kind of exactly. as a reward. That, you know, it's not yeah. obviously nowadays cutscenes and games are more integrated because you know more advanced games. But mm -hmm. I don't want them to be inundated so much to where you know the game loses focus and I'm just sitting watching half of it. Dude, I love this guy's voice. Me too. Thanks. It's great. It's like I, ASMR. Was... I get that a lot actually. <laughs> Definitely gonna have to go to your channel after this. <laughs> so I always already subscribe. I always thought that um that like thirty minutes of gameplay for every five to ten minutes of cutscene, and that can stack too. So if you've gone the last two hours without really having to uh, do cutscenes, you know you can sit there for a thirty-minute cutscene. You know it's it's a decent enough balance depending on where it is. So like if you're in just a section of gameplay where it's like thirty minutes, you play, and then you got a five-minute cutscene, and then another thirty yeah. minutes, and then you got like an eight-minute cutscene. I always felt that that was a decent enough balance for it, which again, as amazing as Kojima's games are, there's a lot of more cutscenes than gameplay in the later stuff. Mm -hmm. Death Stranding and notwithstanding, because there's a fuck ton of gameplay in that. So there is a small pass on the ending, but it's still like Jesus Christ, man, two and a half hours. This is more, this is almost um, end game levels of movie watching. Yeah. My biggest problem with Death Strand, well, I think my issue with Kojima is his his games have a shitload of exposition, and I don't mind exposition, exposition, but it gets kind of ridiculous sometimes because it's like when you have to like listen to one character talk for thirty minutes about something, it just after like ten or ten minutes, I'm just like, can we just move? Back Kojima to is very heavy-handed. Like I, I think at this point. If you play his games, you have to realize how heavy-handed he could be with exposition. And, I mean, some of it is entertaining. I'm not going to lie. I love that scene in MGS2 where, like, Solidus was fucking up the Metal Gear race. But at, oh, the, yeah. at the same oh, yeah, time, it's, it's like what Deadman said. You need to constitute, like, a long, lengthy gameplay sequence. And then you can go into a cutscene, like, this five minutes or eight minutes and then relax. When it's overbearing to the point where you get less game play and more cutscenes then at that point you just ask like okay maybe they should have made a movie instead of a video game I know. like i love metal gear solid 4 but that was my biggest problem with it was that i would play for 10 minutes and then have to watch like an hour and a half's worth of cutscenes yeah yeah the game and the gameplay was good in that game that's the thing the gameplay was good it's just you didn't oh, really yeah get it was to, phenomenal like, but you i get to like full experiment with it but, how long the cuts are. but I will I will say this like I will play slight devil's advocate I do like when games when they do have that balance between cutscene and gameplay I do like it when they try to go for the Hollywood like you know top tier we're, we're going balls deep with this cutscene we're gonna have all the bells and whistles I do like when they well, try to no. do that because at least they're actually trying to be super entertaining to the player I agree there well, I mean, if they're going to have a one of the better at least parts of Kojima is he does go over the top. Oh, yeah, he does. No doubt. Like, I, I can't I can't like defend that, that some of the stuff I see in the MGS is ridiculous. Like you have a man with no arms killing people with a sword in his mouth. Like, that, like, it's just oh, it it's makes no awesome. sense. It's oh, fucking awesome, make... but it makes no sense. Don't forget the man cool. from MGS2, the guy who ran on water. Yeah. Vampire. <laughs> But I do like the presentation because, like I said, it looks spiffy and they're trying to tell us a story and they're trying to do it, you know, in a very uh, stylized way. So, I mean, I'm all for it if it's cool. 
But uh, if it's not fun, you have something to say? Mm, no. no. Oh, okay. So are we good for this question? Let's move on. Wrap it up. Yeah, I think it's time to turn left here. Yeah, we go left. <laughs> we gonna hit a hard left. Yeah, hard left. All right. So hard we want the number ten. Uh, so I'll, I'll read that one. So, how do you feel when your gameplay decisions affect story-driven choices? Examples include good or bad endings, permanently killing characters, or branching storylines. All right. So, so can we take this one? Sure. Oh yeah, you can go ahead. All right, because yeah. uh, very rarely do we agree, and this is one of those times. So for me, I think I like the shit, but I think it's like the most stressful shit in the world. Like uh, even in Skyrim, if there's a decision, I'll exit the conversation, quick save, and then pick one. I don't like it, I'll, I'll fucking redo it. I just cannot commit to shit. So I, to me personally, it's fucking stressful. It's a cool game mechanic, but it makes me want to pop a Zan. And I think oppositely from that i think it adds replayability to the game because you can change who your character is so you can go play a game the first time you can make all the decent choices you know what a, what a normal person would do or you can make all the holier than thou choices and then you play the game a third time and you just kill everyone in your way or like you're playing fire emblem and you beat it but you lose two of your units so you play the whole game again just so you keep those two motherfuckers alive yeah, and that's true. I, I always tell myself, like, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to play it how I want to play it the first time. And then when I play it again, I'm just going to be the asshole. I'm going to make all the shitty decisions. And I can never bring myself to do it, man. So I end up playing the same game over and over again. That's my problem. Yeah. Like, I feel like it stresses me out when you get, like, Odyssey levels where, and again, the last previous seven or eight games had been this is your story i heard that odyssey has branching endings and i'm like why was this added in this doesn't really add anything to assassin's creed and you're adding too many new things into it to to justify like it because i just want to go for assassin's creed that's one of those games i want to turn my brain off i want to enjoy the stupid crazy uh the stupid crazy plot and not have to worry about whether i'm getting the quote-unquote canon ending or not Dishonored kind of had that problem too with the chaos system because it wasn't explained that if you go through and kill everybody, you get the bad ending. I, I think a good example was brought up in the chat, like the infamous games. Like to me, yep. it depends on if you do all this, you do all this bad shit and then they punish you. And then it's like, well, oh shit. Well, I might as well play the good ending because that's the ending where you get all the rewards. I like how infamous does it where it's like, okay, if you want to be good, you get a subset of good powers. If you want to be bad, you get a subset of evil powers and you also get branching story paths between them. So you don't feel like nerfed or dampened between everything. At least it's balanced out enough to make those like sort of buffs and perks and uh, and then you get a good at ending. Least they, bad. At least they warn you from the outset that you have a good choice and a bad choice. Yeah, as opposed yeah. to just you in there. Actually, it's so boring, a, though. I got this really funny story that has the old choices, but I'm pretty sure you guys played the David Cage Sadness trilogy, right? Hmm. You mean what? like the Quantic Dream stuff? Yeah, the Quantic Dream games. Um, yeah. I oh, okay. This, yeah. I played all three of them last year, and like, everything, it was decent, but I don't know, some parts of the story were kind of stupid, admittedly, and the thing is with that game is if you want to get the best ending, 
you kind of have to find all the clues for the origami killer, and along with that, you have to keep Mastin, and um, you gotta keep most of the characters alive, essentially. And I think really with that game is just you can basically you can fuck up a lot actually and still get the best ending, but you can't fuck up too much, otherwise you'll get like the worst ending. And it's the same for the tribe becoming. That's the one nice thing about that kind of game is that you at least do have some of a safety net where you can fuck some things up, but you can still get the best ending. So in a sense, some of the choices don't matter, which can be bad. But it's like, it's one of those things where like, if you stub your toe, yeah, you fucked up, but your body as a whole is fine. If you cut your toe off or get it cut off by accident, you fucked up and you're going to stay fucked up. (laughs) Yeah, like... like, I, I mean, it's it's at least nice that that game actually, has some kind of safety net where if you fuck up, you're not going to exclude yourself out of the actually, main story. Actually, you... My bad, um, one of those things funny, there's this one part in the game where you have to cut off Ethan's finger so you can get, like, clues to um, find where you know where his son is. And here's the thing, mm-hmm. if you don't do the trial, um, Ethan actually can get shot, apparently, by a police officer that's chasing after him with masks. And here's the thing, if that happens, Ethan actually gets arrested, so the game forces you to actually cut his finger off, which it's, I don't know, it's really weird, honestly. Yeah, I think it's weirder when they start stripping the choices away from you, even though they give you the ability to make these choices, and then it ultimately ends up either killing you anyway or doing some stupid shit. Like, I, I don't like it when it's done that way. Telltale does this sometimes as well, where you make a choice and then ultimately it doesn't matter. Like, I think it was uh, Telltale's Batman, where um, Two-Face gets his face either burnt or he doesn't, and if he doesn't get his face burnt he still becomes two-faced anyway and then they say it's a psychological thing and i'm like okay then so my choice really didn't matter if i saved them from the face burning or not i don't like it when it does that but when it allows me to be an asshole and i can or if i want to be a good guy and i can and i don't get penalized i'm totally fine with it i think silent hill does a good way too they um silent hill like instead of being an asshole or a good guy you just you save a certain person at a certain time or do some part of the story early and it changes the ending you get. I, I think mm-hmm. that's a that's a really good way that they implemented that too. I agree. Yeah. So my biggest so worry with the... these games is always that I'm always worried that you might get a subpar story when there's multiple endings and multiple choices. I mean Right, and that's what I have... was talking about with um with Odyssey is like especially when the rest of them had one set canon thing and then Odyssey introduces multiple endings. It's like, well, which one is the proper ending? And then I can yeah. go back and do the rest. Odyssey is... I don't know. <laughs> oh, man, that's what Google's work. for. Facts. Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. Well, I don't want to spoil anything. I just want to be able to play the game and get the story that I need. Well, get, get, get whatever ending you got and look up the others. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. We but can't always do that. You don't want to have a uh, shitty, like, five shitty endings and one good one, and you have to figure out which one it is. Yeah, that would be yeah, Okay, so I will I will play some yeah. slight devil's advocate here. Uh, when it comes to canon and deciding endings and uh, what's going to be the next ending, sometimes I do believe that when they go with canon, it has to be what the developers choose for the sequel. And sometimes they do that, and sometimes it does get weird where they mix in some things and they mix in some canon that was 
wasn't established from the endings i think one of the rare cases well not even one of the rare cases one of the many cases actually is from uh resident evil one where it's like oh they established that the other character is absent in the other character's campaign like barry or rebecca rebecca does not show up in chris's campaign but um no she doesn't show barry doesn't show up in chris's campaign my bad uh so because barry doesn't show up there it's like did he get out of the mansion alive but the canon later says that he does so it's like it's kind of weird they could have reworked the ending in resident evil remake where they show barry getting out with chris but they don't every video game or ending should just be the dog from silent hill let's be real <laughs> that's true <laughs> or like uh with metal gear solid you know you don't know whether Meryl being saved or Otacon, or sorry, whether Aut or Meryl being saved from the torture sequence was canon basically until Metal Gear Solid 4, because they don't mention her at all until you get to 4, and it's like, oh yeah, Meryl was here. That ended with yeah, the canon ending. And that was like, what, 15, 20 years? I, I think they <laughs> I think they did say like in the Into Darkness um books that Meryl did live, but at that point it's like okay, you expect people to read this little manual <laughs> that they didn't even show in the story. Right. How do you know uh, until MGS four like she's still alive or not? You mean the same problem that fucking uh, Onimusha Dawn of Dreams has, where they expect you to read the fucking prequel manga to like get why the fuck certain things happen the way that they do in in that game. Yeah, when they do canon like, like that, it's terrible because then it's like, okay, you expect me to read this, but you didn't establish it to me, so how am I supposed to know? Yeah, exactly. Also, just really quick because I want to get my thoughts out before we move on. Like, um, I did want to say that like one like way to implement this very well, and um, a way that I've kind of just appreciated with the uh, the way of the samurai series is that like. What they allow you to do in, in uh, those series of games is that, like, you could uh, go through, you could literally, if you wanted to, like, kill almost every single character, but that makes you look like a dishonorable piece of shit, and so everybody's going to want to kill you. Alternatively, though, if you want to just kill, like, a certain subset of, uh, like, like, a certain subset of characters uh, and join another character's, like, subset of characters cause in order to like wipe that set like you could do that or vice versa you could do it the other way around or you could just fuck off and leave like like they give you so many different choices in in that series where um they end up what they end up doing is they end up giving like small like variations to endings that are there they might not necessarily be bad or they might not necessarily be uh good per se uh, they just happen to be there and just give you like alternative uh, alternatives in terms of like what uh, like choices could have been made. So like literally every single choice that you make, uh, unlike Telltale games, like makes a difference in in your playthrough, which I actually really do enjoy. I think um, actually I know the near Dragon Guard games do this, where like um, they have multiple endings and you have to play through the game multiple times if you don't want to get all the endings. Like, near a time that was like, it had, um, there were technically four endings and there was a true ending. And in order to get the true ending, you have to get the first four endings, basically. Mm. 
Yeah, but those are by design that way. So that's that is just a little bit different, but I can see where you're coming from with that. Or like um, you know, with Drakengard, Near and Near Automata all being different, it's funny that like the good ending is actually not what is canon. Yeah, because um the funny thing is actually Deadman, um if you wanna know something, ending of Dragon Guard one actually led up to Dragon Guard two, but Dragon Guard two isn't canon because Taro didn't write it. And ending E of Dragon Guard one is actually the canon because it leads in the near essentially. Yeah. Does anybody else want to go or can we move on to number ten? Or what? Are we on number ten? I think we're on. I, I changed it uh, because we are Left. running out of time. So oh, we so jumping 11. our yeah we're jumping to the final couple of questions. Twelve. Fuck twelve, 11. by the way. <clears throat> it's it's eleven now. So. Yeah, exactly. I think, yeah. And we gonna keep it. We've been here for a while. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, can you name and recommend three game games or franchises that stuck uh stuck perf struck the perfect balance between gameplay and story? Uh, cite your reasoning. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I can give you one like right off off the bat: the Yakuza franchise. Uh, Yakuza is very good in terms of just telling a very good crime drama story. Um, that when you start to delve into like the side quests and stuff can be very bombastic and ridiculous and stupid fun. Uh, but when it comes down to like having like serious moments where the characters could literally get killed by like a, a bullet or, or some shit like that, like it can happen. Uh, so it does have that like perfect strike between uh, gameplay and story. Uh, as far as two other franchises are concerned, uh, that is a good question. I, I can't really say, uh, like right off the top of my head, because there are some where it's like, yeah, they're kind of like that, but then towards the end, they're like, not so much like that, or, uh, vice versa, where it's like, they weren't like that, but now they're starting to get that way. So it's it's kind of hard for me to recommend. But Yakuza in, in particular, I will recommend. So I will give you one at least. Mm, I'll probably I'll take what Dom said, but yeah, like I said, Yakuza. Um, um, I got like the Yakuza games do such a great job of like they give you this like really great story, um, great story and great cast of characters, and the gameplay was always enjoyable because it was like essentially a beat up with RPG elements and there's so much to do in Kamurocho and the sub-stories and the extra activities like the karaoke really add a lot to like I'd say pretty much the world of the series and that's really why I enjoy the series so much. It's definitely a treat to experience. Yeah, that's mine. I can't think of anything else, honestly. It's... <laughs> Yeah, this is an incredibly hard question to think about. I'm inclined, I, this franchise isn't perfect, that's obvious, but I'm inclined to say Final Fantasy. Obviously there's a lot of, this isn't true for every single game in the series, but I think oh, as time has gone on, they've gotten better and better at making more engaging gameplay, and they've always kind of kept a good balance between how much they show off and how much game there is, I don't know. It's not perfect, but I think it's still pretty good. I was actually thinking the same thing on that. Mm, shit, I was typing during that. My bad. No worries. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, we're all in the same boat, brother. Yeah. yeah I, sorry about so that. Many games. 
but uh fi yeah final fantasy is is definitely a good pick I, I would probably recommend that to people who are like if you want to dip your toe into some rpgs that are strikes the good balance you can uh but for me personally i'm trying to think uh i think mass effect would probably be one you know good balance mm -hmm. between good gameplay oh, story yeah, story funny. choices uh i think another one would probably be gta gta they don't have like super duper long cutscenes, and the gameplay is batshit bonkers so you can have a good time with that uh and one more let me think uh, oh yeah red dead oh, about red dead yeah, but I, I think my pick personally for like games you can get into easy and it has a good balance between good gameplay and cutscenes is probably Uncharted. Like Uncharted has not that many cutscenes, but it is kind of like a story driven game. But at the same time, like going around shooting people, drop kicking pirates. I mean, what more can you ask for? <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. Uncharted. I thought of one other thing. Mm -hmm. So uh, actually the Onimusha franchise, uh, because they have like very like especially when you get into like two and and three especially uh they become more like cinematic as far as like their cutscenes go uh but definitely like really fun hack and slash games to play through especially when you start getting into like the uh the upgrades and learning how how to do like deflect criticals and and like onimusha 3 in particular like doing chain criticals it's it's a lot of fun Well, I guess I'll go then since there's a void. <laughs> um, so, so I think I, I, God, I played so many games just as I'm sure everybody else has. The three that I can think of off the top of my head, um, most games I've played haven't actually had a bad balance, um, other than, you know, there being a few specific games that have, you know, toppled over the edge. <laughs> Metal Gear Solid. <laughs> Some of them are kind of bad with the gameplay to uh, cutscene ratio, but um, I always thought the Kingdom Hearts franchise was really good for balancing that out. Yeah, the story's a little batshit crazy, but if you're actually going through all of them in the order that they came out and all of that, it makes a little bit more sense. Um, it's a little bit easier now to do it now that they've all got it on one system instead of being on 15 different fucking consoles like it was in the past. And if you're insane like me and love the Kingdom Hearts series, I bought every single console so I could play them. Um, and I, I can't speak much for the later games because the furthest I've actually played in canonically is Rogue. Uh, but Assassin's Creed has always struck a pretty good balance between having good gameplay and having, you know, good chunks of gameplay before you get to another cutscene. And it's not usually a drag when you get two said cutscenes. Um, and then the best example I can probably think of is the Dead Space trilogy. More so the first one, because there were a few scant cutscenes in between there. But most of the time, they fed you information while you were doing gameplay so it wasn't like okay you gotta stop to watch this cutscene it's like no you're still out and doing stuff while everybody is still talking to you which actually come to think of it as another example of the silent protagonist being the silent protagonist in the first one that doesn't quite work out in the other games but we've we've moved past that Sure. Um, I, I thought those are really th good. Those three were really good franchises, and it does kill me that Dead Space is well dead because yeah. the cliffhanger at the end of the DLC for for number three, and it's like, well, shit, did everybody just die? Or are they going to beat the the Necromorphs? Like, what's going on, man? They had to face their worst enemy, and that was EA. <laughs> yeah, no shit. Man. Brother Moon should have just been renamed to EA Moon. 
<laughs> Damn. All right, I'm going to keep it quick to save us all. Uh, three franchises. I'm going to stroke my boy Shin Megami Tensei again. Persona, Digital Devil Saga, any of the Devil Summoners, all fucking great. Uh, anytime you're watching the story or playing the game, it just feels like you're still there. You know, you never leave. It's all very interesting all the time. The Witcher series does the same thing. I think it does it a lot better because even when you're in the cinematics, you're still playing as the Witcher. You're uh, finding information to f hunt the beast you're finding, uh, trying to make some potions so that you can survive in a fight with a werewolf a little better. And it, it never seems like there is a cutscene, even when there is one. And last, I put Shadow of the Colossus and Ico, because even though the story isn't very prevalent, when there are cutscenes, you're genuinely interested because it keeps it all open-ended, like... Huh, what the fuck is going on here? Yeah, Why are they chasing this guy? Why is yeah. he in this land? And it's just, it, it's all interesting, even with the little bit of story that they put in there. And the funny thing is about Ico is um, there's actually no voice acting. Um, most of it's, and not a lot of cutscenes, but they do a really good job of like telling you how the, sto like, how the story is through gameplay. Oh shit, I have an honorable mention. Max Payne. Fascinating character, good gameplay. Oh yeah, dude, yes. Anyone else? No, I, I think we're good. Alright, yeah. we can finally do these good. outros. So, I'm gonna outro myself. Uh, my name is Renegade Operative. You can find me on Twitter at RenOperative underscore. You can find me on YouTube at Renegade Operative. Uh, next up to outro themselves is Dom. So you guys can find me under biodevil underscore Dom. I'm on Twitter on the very rare occasions Twitch, but I don't even know if I'm going to be using Twitch anymore anyway. Uh, YouTube and uh, yeah, I, I sometimes do videos. So yeah. Too many to play. Yeah, we're too many to play. Dealing with an I. I'm dealing with a Y. Just look up too many to play. That's that's all. On you literally find. anything. Yeah, that's you'll find Only it. Only fans is popping right now. The number two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't Thanks for out. having us, guys. For real. No problem. No problem, dudes. Next up is Deadman Gaming. So I'm Deadman. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter or Twitch at Deadman Gaming 13. Don't really use Twitch much right now, but I'll be getting into it soon, hopefully. And YouTube is just Dead Man Gaming. I like to make wins or win videos because there's too much negativity and we need some more positive shit about gaming. I agree. Next up is Andre. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, Andre B. Venom. Um, yeah, I'm also planning on playing Yakuza 4 pretty soon, so and that's going to be fun. But yeah, fun podcast. And last but not least, if it's not fun. Uh, it's easy. Go to If It's Not Fun on Twitter. If It's Not Fun on YouTube, check it out. That's pretty, you know, that's it. And be beware that uh, Too Many To Play wants to have sex with your voice, so there's that. <laughs> <laughs> that's canon. That's, that's, we all that's canon. That's us, uh, yeah. ASMR. <laughs> bro. For real. But yeah, we're going to end off this podcast. It was fun. Great discussion. We're going to see you guys next time. This is the Infinite Ammo Syndicate signing off, and hopefully you guys stay safe. Later.